Welcome back to Ladies with Gumption, episode 111, My Coronavirus! <laughs> coronavirus. I was going for like, My Corona, but my I think corona. that was Coronavirus! <laughs> this shit is real! <laughs> we are the Ladies with Gumption, and we are inside social distancing and quarantining. Uh, we recap DCTV in a flash. I am May, and I am here with... Tatiana. <laughs> and Jessica. <laughs> um, as always, you can always find us on Tumblr, ladieswgumption.tumblr.com. All of our podcasts are posted to iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, which we recently discovered has only episodes 14 through now because the RSS feed that was uploaded at the time had not factored in the previous 13 episodes for some reason. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, is it possible to get that fixed, or is that just like it I will, is really yeah? Like, I'm gonna see about that this weekend. Um, May is I, our I mean, when move. I posted like the RSS feed, I would assume that everything would be up there, just like on iTunes, but I guess not. So I will figure it out. But in the meantime, if you uh, if Spotify is your only thing and you want to listen to those 13 episodes, you can still find them on Podomatic. So ladieswgumption.podomatic.com. We're also on Stitcher. Uh, we are on Patreon. So if you uh, are not already a supporter of Patreon. Uh, we're always looking for people. <laughs> if you Use have your hard-earned money to support <laughs> us, I know it's a difficult, difficult time, uh, but we are also poor. <laughs> no, but uh, honestly, thank you for to everyone who already uh, supports us on Patreon. We have a uh, quite a few episodes now at this point that are like very exclusive to Patreon, and we are going to do, be doing a lot more now that everyone's kind of social distancing and we have upcoming uh shows like elite and maybe on my block that we will do and cover we've covered the witcher we've covered um watchmen and everyone who is already subscribed gets the episode 24 hours in advance moving into news we have some sad news um az's dog george who is beloved by all uh passed away last two weeks ago she posted about him on uh, Instagram and Twitter saying something about, I think he, he like, fell on his head, and yeah. by the time they got him to the vet, he had already died. Uh, it's very depressing. It's sad. Yeah. It's unexpected. He's, he's like, a year old. Yeah. Yeah, he's a baby. Poor baby. Oh. Yeah. So that was incredibly sad, but she got a lot of support. Um, so hopefully, you know, she can get through this, because George was very precious. Um the Flash and Supergirl, which are the only DC TV shows left on the CW that uh, are currently airing or were filming, rather they were. In, oh, and Batwoman, yes, have all suspended production uh, last Wednesday, Thursday, um, amid, of course, the coronavirus outbreak. Um, Batwoman had filmed 19 of the 22 episodes that they had. Supergirl had filmed um, 20 of. Uh, 19 out of 20, which yeah, is, uh, they had a shorter season. And The Flash was had filmed 20 out of 22. So right, right now it's kind of all up in the air. Um, probably we're going to get those episodes, uh, the ones that they filmed in, are probably in post-production, so we'll get, continue getting those episodes, which is why the CW switched up their schedule for, like, The Flash. Um, so, it's like, the episode that was airing on the 31st is now going to air on the 7th so that they can mm-hmm. space out because – yeah, it's it's weird, but you know, whatever. <laughs> um 
Yeah, um, we got some updates from Nicole Maines, who was interviewed this week for her episode. So basically, she's saying that they don't really know much right now. They're still waiting for WB to let them know whether they're going to resume production or not. Um, but yeah, they had to shut down. Everybody had to go back. Uh, some crew members have already moved on because there's, they've got other projects. Um, right. But, but that's, right that's now, the issue too when you have to shut something down because then it's like you, other people have to find they have to find jobs. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's like several articles. Some writers' room are still doing, they're still in session. They're just doing it digitally or virtually. Um, like the Legends writers tweeted their yeah. writers' room from their. Yeah, so they started home season six. Um, I'm sure the Flash is doing the same. Flash writers are doing the same thing. So they're like. Sure so we can't see that they're on the Black Woman yet. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, best case scenario right now, they do get back at like in two or three weeks more or something like that and just push everything back or what will likely happen is just that the, like, the last two episodes will be rolled up into season right. seven. Right, and just get two more episodes next season. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. This is the case literally for every show <laughs> that was in production. Um, so, uh, I feel bad for Supernatural fans. Yeah. Like that one really sucks. Yeah. That one really, really sucks. Also, can I just say this? This is super, like, okay. But I was transcribing an interview with this stunt coordinator lady who, is, who was going to be the stunt coordinator for The Flash. And so mm-hmm. she was talking about how The Flash was going to start filming in April. And now with the situation, everything's recording, everything's shut down, they don't know when The Flash will start filming. And she hasn't even read the script yet. This is for the movie. So I was just going back oh, to like, wow. Oh, wow. wow. Grant's, Grant's black magic is so powerful. It literally started a global planned right, pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> it just topped the Flash movie. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, with TV, it's like obviously there's going to be a quicker turnaround because they're just used to working like this anyway. They're they're fast. They've gone through, like, writer's strikes. They, you know, they figure things out. Movies. The delay of, like, theater stuff and, and all this stuff is just uh, really up in the air right now. So in terms of, like, um, Wonder Woman 1984, for example, the so news was, like, spreading like wildfire that, oh, execs were talking about sending the movie straight to digital. But, of course, WB would lose a lot of money that way. So while they were, like, contemplating it, it's not viable. So the film will still get a theatrical run eventually. Yeah. And right now it's holding in June, but it's possible, like, if this continues, then it'll just be pushed back probably a couple months. Yeah. That's going to be the real thing when, you know, we run out of the TV episodes that are stocked up. Right. <laughs> we can't get any more. What will become of us? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the CW has it decently okay, like, in terms of all their shows were pretty much renewed, so they have no issue wondering whether they're going to be canceled or not, except for the shows that are already ending. Or Um, or the ones waiting to get picked up. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Although I heard, I don't know if this was true or not, but I saw, like, inklings of the whole, like, Superman and Lois will basically skip the whole process and get picked up. Yeah, so they're fine. Yeah, So. Oh yes, yeah, that's that's a no, that's definitely a no go. That's definitely a no go at this point. <laughs> I, I like how you whispered that like it was taboo. 
we don't have any more arrow listeners on the show, Tati. <laughs> right? <laughs> they all left. <laughs> so, yeah. So, everything's up in the air. So, stay tuned for all of that. Um, but getting into our main format. Oh, on the plus side, though, Birds of Prey is coming to video on demand early so that you can watch it if you did not already see it. So, yay. But getting into our main format, we have, we're down one show, Black Lightning's over. We have Superbat, uh, Supergirl, and Batwoman on side A, The Flash, and Legends on side B. Likes, dislikes, and Lady with Gumption of the Week. And Jessica will take it away. All right. So we're going to start off on side A with Supergirl and Batwoman. Fail slave slash rise and shine, you son of a bitch. So first on Supergirl. Mia's roommate, Yvette, is attacked by a man targeting Dreamer because he doesn't like the transgender and wants her to quit being a superhero. So that is great. <laughs> um, determined to protect her community from additional harm, Dreamer refuses to give in to his threats and puts herself in the line of fire to stop him. Um, Supergirl, a.k.a. Kara Danvers, stands by Dreamer. Even though she doesn't understand at first, she comes to an understanding with Dreamer of what it actually is that trans people go through and enlists additional help from Brainy, who is social distancing himself from the entire situation and only helping <laughs> from the comfort of the EO. Meanwhile, Alex, John, and Kelly attempt to rescue a man stuck inside a virtual reality escape room in very creepy, creepy plot. Um, and then also... Kara is also practicing social distancing herself from William on their date. Because that <laughs> happened in this episode. It was directed by Armin D. Kevorkian and written by Dana Horgan and Jay Ferber. What sparks joy for you? Well, the fact that Armin was directing. Love him. Great job, Armin. You go, sir. Um, but I was glad to see Kelly, uh, you know, doing her testing and then we get a refresher on why her job is so important to her and that she is actually good at her job and cares about it. Unlike other characters in this episode, such as um, <laughs> crazy old Leviathan nurse lady and her floating client bodies. Um, but even that was good because I like the um, continuity with Leviathan as the big bad last season. So we see more of where they're placed and what they might be up to. Um, also, I love seeing Kelly finally become suspicious of her employers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, her workplace and like why her request didn't go through even though it was supposed to have gone through. So looking forward to her maybe doing a little digging in on that front. Speaking of investigating, I was very happy to see Alex and John finally as private investigators on like, I don't know, their first official case together or whatever, as well as Kelly and Alex teaming up to check out the VR world. Um, also liked that Alex went right past that Be Your Own Supergirl simulation. Great continuity and foreshadowing for the next episode, when yes. she will be her own Supergirl. <laughs> um, Richard, useless garbage man, um, but he did provide an important topic of conversation, which is the, uh, you know, moral use of the VR world and, like, what virtual adultery is. And how it can have very real consequences. And it was I don't really know cute why I didn't know, like, didn't assume that she was, like, having an affair. Like, come on, lady. Right, right. <laughs> like, immediately. But um, I did like, I did like um, the little conversation between Kelly and Alex. And they were like, let's just agree that that's cheating and we're not going to do that. <laughs> right. That was cute. Also, I felt really bad for his wife anyway. Um, and he totally deserved her seeking souls elsewhere because obviously he was a horrible person uh, even before that. Um, Trevor, 
as a character, or as a plot device, really, was utilized well as the first case for John and Alex, and as a way for Alex to get control of her imaginary weapon and her own self-confidence. So, good job. Mm. Now, Nia's story, which should be the center of attention, more on that later, um, I loved seeing that again. Love her. She's great. Um, love how she referred to Brainy as that strange little man, <laughs> and gave us more insight into uh, Nia's feelings after the breakup. Um, and what, hap- what happened with that was horrible. I'm glad the episode took it seriously, I liked that we got to see Nia go through the process of feeling that hurt and that rage and that they pointed out the double standards and the failures of the police force in cases such as those and in protecting the trans community. Um, also, I liked that, of course, like, Kara's not going to let her friend become a murderer, but I liked that she let, like, she respected what Nia was feeling and she didn't try to belittle the situation, like, the seriousness of the situation. Or, like, no one was like, well, maybe that guy had, you know, his very special secret personal reasons for his gay panic that made him do this. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, in an interview, Nicole said, you know, or yeah, they talked about taking that part out, right. Taking the backstory out. Yes. Um, so glad they did. We did don't need it. And also it, it, it was already obvious. Like there's literally no other reason someone would do that. You know, I don't really need a little story, a little vignette about why. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, I do know some people took issue with Kara not already realizing how hard um, trans people have it, especially when Nia is her friend. Um, But I do like that she gets a bit of a wake-up call every once in a while. Because while I totally agree, like, yeah, she should be more informed, and sometimes the writers might dumb her down to make her the message bearer for the audience, I also think that living as a straight white cis woman, even if she's actually a literal alien immigrant whose sexuality is currently unknown, um, could easily lead her to have blind spots in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of sexuality. We saw it before with um, with the alien storyline. Was that that was last season, right? Yes, when she didn't realize season, that yeah. like, non-human presenting aliens are obviously going to have it worse than her, a human presenting alien. Um, <laughs> but um, but I also think like I I don't think that she was really acting out of character at all because even if you do have like a friend that is a trans person. Um, you're not going to know because you're, like, not, you're, you're not, not going to know everything. You're exactly. not going to know everything exactly. that, like, that they go through unless right. you, like, confront it and actually are open to, like, asking and having like, a lot of different conversations about yeah. it. There's a lot of people No matter right how much have... of an ally you are to any right. community, you're not going to know. You are not that part of that community. And we haven't seen Kara go out of her way for activism in terms of specific, like, in different sectors, you know? So there's no, we don't know that she's, she doesn't have necessarily time to be reading up on everything, right? She doesn't even do her job as a journalist, <laughs> much less to be reading up on what other journalists do or what they've uncovered. So I, I, I agree with you. I do think it was in character. I yeah. also, I mean, I think they could choose to go a different way, and the reason they don't is to make her the mouthpiece. Yeah, and I think it is but, good to have her as a mouthpiece in, in that yeah. situation because she is Supergirlist, the person if like, anybody is going to have any kind of influence over, like, the audience. It's going to be her. Right. It's going to be through her, you know. So Yeah. And I also, um, I think Nia specifically plays things close to the chest, right? Like, with the breakup with Brainy, at first she tried to pretend like she was okay. And with this situation, she doesn't open up about about her issues. Like, obviously, it took her a while to, to, to say that she was Dreamer um, or, even, or even to, like, come out with her backstory to Kara. So I think it makes sense that she might not be as open, you know, to be like, hey, listen, this is this news. It really took this situation to shake her up and make her be like, hey, listen, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And also, Nicole Maines did an amazing job this episode. Um, loved her, especially, you know, in the fights or in the fight scene. But in the scene where she confronted bad guy, 
ugly, nameless man whose name, well, I can't remember his name. He probably had a name. Um, and also when she was breaking down to Kara. Like, that was really well done. Um, shout out to her. Great job. Great job. Um, meanwhile, y'all know how thrilled I was with how angry Brainy was on Nia's behalf and how he, you know, took matters into his own social distancing hands, legally speaking, um, in order to help Nia and her community, even without directly, you know, talking to her about it. He still spent a lot of time this week just, like, staring at her picture, um, and I was all for that. I am constantly getting feedback from y'all uh, whenever I say anything about Brie and Nia about how they could or should realize that their love for each other is platonic and that they could just be friends after all this and, like, maybe they love each other, but, like, not like that. And I'm like, this is the most romantic thing happening on this show, okay? Y'all will let me live. <laughs> Brain loves Nia romantically. Who is saying such things? But where's my pitchfork? <laughs> I did not say that. No, not, 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 not Jessica. Not Jessica. I'm talking about on Twitter. People will be like, what? And I'm like, listen. <laughs> like, Nia even said it in this, wasn't it this episode where she said, like, the one person who, like, wanted me for me, who, like, saw yeah. who I was and still thought I was beautiful, um, broke up with me or, like, break my heart for it, and I don't know why. I was so, so sad. So sad. And also, I'm like, he does love her. That's the point. The point is that he's in love with her. Okay. So anyway. <laughs> okay. <gasps> all right. Know, at, the, at the end of all this, Brainy will be like, break my heart, Nia. Break it into a thousand pieces. <laughs> <laughs> all right. He's like, it's only, it's a logical thing to do, Nia. <laughs> okay. On a much less romantic note, but it's still fine. Um, Cara and Williams date. It took up like uh five seconds, and that's great. And then they work together, like to get the word out for the sake of the matching. They're matching clothes because he had on like matching clothes. Oh no, brown jacket, white shirt, and she had on like brown shirt, white jacket. I'm like, uh oh. (laughs) We know what's happening here. You know what that means. (laughs) But yeah, so I like that it was like super low key. It took up almost no time or plot. You know. So people who are, like, all the five of you or whatever who are, like, making a hundred different accounts to send um, Naz, like... Yes. Yeah. Actually, we probably should have talked about that in the news, too, because, like, yeah. they're still doing it. Like, on his most recent post, he just turned off the comments because people were just sending him the most, like, you know, it's your fault that Supergirl is in the trash and how, you know, like... Or, like, why, why are the ratings you? are down. Right. Like, the man is in, like... Five minutes at most of any given episode. <laughs> so and it's, it's so like crazy because he's just like, you know, thank you for your opinion. And he's he even like put up like a, a Instagram story of like, you know, I really appreciate everyone. I always respect you even when you don't have the same opinion. And you know, like he's just so nice. And they're just like <laughs> he's, he's smart because he's like the second I say anything, they're gonna try to use it against me. So I'm just gonna, I do like you know, cold. She's stuck up for yeah, him in, in his comment section. Yeah, against yeah. one person that was like really just really mean. So the Supergirl cast is just they love each other and they are always like they go to bat for each other and that is beautiful and we love them for that. Um, <laughs> Okay, so aside from that, um, my point is that it was nice to see them working together professionally um, for the good of a community, although I will have points about that in the other side. And now I will give up the mic. Those are beautiful thoughts. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed this episode for the most part. I think that it was the one of the times where they presented the whole virtual reality black mirror situation, why tech is, can be bad. And, and these can be the repercussions really well in this episode versus like 
they weren't really hitting us over the head with it. They were presenting it in like, like as a case. You know, this is what happens when things go too far. <laughs> so that was really good and, and played really well into Alex's storyline. And, you know, her first case as a non-DEO agent going in to rescue someone and how good that felt for her to be, you know, in an action mode without having to be working with Lex Luthor and, and whatnot at the DEO. So that was really great. And I really love, like you said, Tati, that they uh, brought back uh, the fact that um, Kelly was working with uh, Obsidian and how this entire ordeal affects her work. And, you know, because she's very much uh, the optimist. She really believes in her work. She wants it to do well. She thinks it can help people. And it's not just like, oh, I'm going to enter this virtual reality to eat strawberries. I'm going to help you with your... <laughs> you know, mental health and, you know, be a good therapist. So she's seeing it as a, as a really good thing. And this was kind of a blow to her entire, like the way that she looks at Obsidian. So that was really interesting because she's, you know, she's backed it for so long. So hopefully she can make everything better. Um, but I really liked the, like, it was really small, but we got some uh, Kelly and Alex. So that's like, continuing and I'm just glad we saw Kelly this episode because she's been absent for the most part and she was she played a bigger role than I thought that she was going to play in this episode so that was really great um I like the whole VR thing actually like it was really creepy to mm -hmm. have to like this whole um Vegas virtual world that she had to enter and the fact that they brought back the fact that uh someone had kidnapped her and put her in those um I don't know what you would call it, the little water oh, the water chamber. tank. Oh, yeah, yeah, the water tank. So that was really good. Like, it was a nice call back to um, a couple seasons ago. And um, in terms of, like, the Nia storyline, it was really, really powerful. Uh, I've seen the episode, like, twice, still get goosebumps. And, and like, I really felt for Nia's um, whole journey in the sense that like she wants to this is like personal and professional for her and it's like she wants to remain as a symbol of hope she wants to continue being a superhero she wants to be a good role model but at the same time assholes like this exist in the world and they don't get the justice that they deserve and she also wants to protect her friend and herself and her entire community and i thought that it was really the way that they played it was really well because it felt like she went from point A to point D, like we're at the point where she broke down because we haven't really gotten much of how she's been feeling over the last several episodes. And this was like a nice way to point out that there's been a lot happening for her. And this was just like the final straw where she was really contemplating hurting this man um, who really deserved it, to be honest. <laughs> but the fact that they, <laughs> yeah. pointed, they pointed out that, you know, cops can, they're just sometimes really bad at their jobs and they don't do what they need to do to figure out I don't who, think this man was like bad at his job. It was just like not not this particular man, but like that, yeah, in the yeah, time police fashion. in general, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not that like he's particularly bad at his job, but just like the you know police in general and it, and how they don't or these a lot of this type of violence against the trans community goes doesn't get reported and yeah doesn't get reported right, goes not reported and yeah. Uh, trans people are murdered and like a lot of people don't even bat an eye because a lot of people don't consider them people. Um, so it's like really, it really hit home in this episode. And I think that they handled it very well. And you can tell that Nicole had like a lot to do with the script because it, it was very sensitive in 
the way that they presented the whole the whole thing. So all of that was great. Um, and plus, like, it was just great to see Nia finally get to do, finally have, like, a plot to herself, really. You know, she got help, but it was, like, her her thing that she had to do um, and her storyline. So that was all great. Um, I also like the fact that <laughs> William and Cara's date was, like, didn't take up too much of the episode. <laughs> they're, they're, like, if they're going to play it out for, you know, much longer, it's definitely, like, a slow burn. They're not swooping in and making it all super romantic all at once. They're kind of, like, letting people get used to it, which is nice. Um and I think that he's been rather helpful, and, and I like that he was there with Kara working on the story in, in the sense that they were they were behind Nia, even if he didn't necessarily share any scenes with her. But I like the fact that Kara was there for Nia, and she was, you know, like you said, the mouthpiece for the audience. The, the You know, they were learning through her, but at the same time, she wasn't overstepping you know, in her, in Tania's storylines. Right, right. She was letting her do her thing. Um, what else? Oh, yes, of course I love the Brainy thing, too, because I think that is the best way to see that, yes, he still cares about her, and he went the extra mile to find all the hate groups, the trans hate groups, and submit it to the cops so they could, he'd be like, hey, you can do your jobs now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was really nice. Like, he's from a distance. He's like, I still love you, Nia, but here I'm going to help you without you realizing. It's like... On other shows, it's like, yes, this is the love story. <laughs> like, some, it felt like they were doing this better. Yeah, I know. I know. Jessica's face right now. like, mm-mm. But in, in general, like, I feel like they're playing Nia and Brainy's story in this episode better than they did their relationship when they were actually together. Yeah. It's really bizarre. So that happened, and, you know, it was nice. <laughs> and, and I'll stop there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, obviously like I, I really um liked Nia's plot Nia's plot and thank God that they had Nicole help with the script. Um because if there was like just the fact that they were considering adding a backstory and, you know, doing this guy like Ben Lockwood two point oh was just like no. So I okay. liked that she had um some input in the script and in the writing and how the story played out. Um, and I think it was, it was really real kind of plot for Nia. Like, even though she's a superhero, um, she is from a community that is discriminated against often. And so like when you are in that position of you, you haven't, you're, you're discriminated against and then you get like a special power um, and you get the, the power to stop, the people that have been, you know, killing your people that have been um, the society's evil, the the people that are considered, you know, the majority in society, you finally get a chance to take some power back and then how that can be very attractive and to be able to, you know, exact your revenge something that you've always been wanting to do and I feel like that's the same like I I can't really relate to me as a trans person but as far as being like a black person in society like we have those kind of like you know revenge fantasy kind of films or ideas of you know if only you had this power to go out and like kill the KKK like you know the Amazon Amazon the hunters 
um, Nazi hunters, like right. um, Jewish kid gets into a society and they kill Nazis. Like who wouldn't want to do that because um, of all the evil that they represent? And so for me, like this person, like all the evil that he represents and harm to the trans community and how um, just the different struggles that trans people go through every day just trying to like live their lives. Um, and this is a chance she's in a position where she could make this person actually pay for what people like him that he represents does on like a daily basis. It's very like attractive to like go down that route. And it's very annoying when you have someone like, well, you don't want to be like them. You don't want to sleep down to their level. It's like, well, you know, like what, where is, how do I get back to that balance? How right. do I, you know, you know, like how do you get balanced and someone's like, you don't want to be like them. Just like shut up for a minute, you know? So I really, <laughs> I really, I uh, really do. <laughs> related to Nia in that situation that, you know, she's being, she's, she has the power to do something, but she feels like she's like handcuffed and can't do it. Um, so I thought that was really good. I thought it was, uh, it was nice to see Yvette again. Um, and I thought it was really interesting, the contrast between her and the beginning of the episode when she's all, like all glammed out. She's ready to go meet her man. And then, you know, right after the situation happens, um, you know, she's in all black. She's not wearing makeup. She's kind of like depressed and doesn't want to go out. And I think it's, uh, even though it was Nia's story, it was very much also Yvette's story. And you could see, you know, how the effect that something, an attack like this has on a person. Um, so it was good to see it through her. And then also, I did like the fact that they, that they did bring up the fact that, you know, attacks on trans women going forward. I like that Yvette mentioned that she was a woman of color because um, I just remember, like, watching this episode on, like, how many times have I seen on Twitter um, black trans woman was murdered in such and such place and there's no suspects and, like, you know, she just shows up dead and no one cares. And um, so I thought it was a really good point to have Yvette bring that up and just some of the dangers um, and then also later have it, um, reiterated by William that a lot of times like crimes like this don't go reported because of you know people don't care people misgender them and the police report and all this kind of stuff so um, it was really good that they called attention to that and then on the other side of the plot with the whole black mirror side of the plot I thought it was really interesting because it 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 went it unfolded slowly because the opening scene, I'm like, why, <laughs> why are there like talking snowmen and like snow tigers and, <laughs> you know, who is this couple and what is this man doing? And, you know, and so at first I just thought it was just like, um, you know, this is like the previous episode when they were like in the field with like a dragon or whatever. Okay. This is just like a, a, a one-off to show you what virtual reality could do. Um, and then we get into the mystery of Al's brother, Trevor, being missing and, like, how he went from being, like, an open, outgoing kind of person to kind of hold up in his room on virtual reality all the time. And it kind of that seemed, like, really scary because it could be really real situation. And I was thinking in Japan, um, there's a – I don't know if it's a condition or, like, a – I don't know how you would describe it, but the people um, – it's called hikikomori – which is, like, people that um, just kind of stay in their room. They don't go out. Their whole life is through um, social, like, digitally through the computer. Um, and they don't interact. They just kind of cut off their interaction with the outside world, like, the real world. Like, they'll just hold up in their room and, you know, 
you put in something to eat and it comes out empty and you know that's all like you, like parents just don't see their kids because they're just holed up in the room and they don't come out um and so this is that I actually thought like maybe this is one of those kind of cases where he gets sucked into virtual reality and he doesn't want to come out because like Al said that you know he had a watch that he gave his brother and his brother switched out for like a digital watch like recently and so like, everything like he's just like distancing himself from the real world and like the dangers of that and then you add that wasn't what it was but you add like another layer to that of the whole the woman being in a virtual affair um and her husband finding out and like torturing this torturing trevor through this virtual virtual reality game how in this world there aren't any rules and i think kelly actually said that you know like or kelly or one of the players in the game were saying that you know there aren't any rules in in here and uh so you could create whatever you wanted to create. There's, there's, how do you regulate that, or how do you keep something like this from happening? Um, I thought it was really good on, on that front. Really pushed the, the Leviathan. Um, what do you call it? Presence, or you know, the creep factor of Leviathan to the forefront, especially with right. the nurse lady. <laughs> roaming around in the background. Yes. Um, and it's actually I a Kelly... argument for social media as well because, like, where, like, how, how, what's the ethics with regarding, like, Twitter and Facebook and, and yeah. whatnot, like, versus comments and people harassing people and all that stuff, so. Right. Because it's like if you're doing it online, it's, you're, it's not really, like, you're not facing the person, like, face-to-face, and so mm-hmm. they're less real and you can say what you want kind of thing. Um yeah, and then I also, I also did, like, for that plot, I liked um, the little tease of Super Alex, and I felt like she was considering it, like, I know I'm supposed to be going to Vegas, but... <laughs> and they also saw, like, another one of the um, the little things was her as a mom, mm-hmm. so and her, her Grey's Anatomy, because she was a doctor in one, yeah. um, <laughs> a mom, Supergirl, so I, I'm actually more excited for, for that next week, just from that little teaser. And it was also, like, a really good um, episode for Kelly and Alex working together. Um, I liked them as a team. I liked that Kelly um, was behind the comms and that she is leading this therapy session into virtual reality for Alex. And and, um, I thought it was a really good use of her in the episode. So that's great. Now we've talked about what we liked. What did not spark joy? For you in this episode, <laughs> um, I just think that it's very unrealistic and strange that this VR company has gotten this far with the way that their VR is set up. Right? Like, how can there be a <laughs> VR world where there's no rules and yet everything <laughs> feels very real and virtual trauma can lead to it's physical brain damage? <laughs> like, but it hasn't launched yet, right? Exactly. Technically, yeah. But, like, at this point, I'm sure that something should have happened by now. You know, like, like this is, yeah. like, some kind of, like, crazy, like, lawsuit. Like, even going into the testing phase, and obviously would never make it past the testing phase at this point. But even going into the testing phase, how are they going to be like, yes, this is logical. Everything feels super real. And then say it could happen to you in real life. Like, if you die in the dream, you die in real life. What a great plan. I'm going to use this. So I don't know. Like, obviously Leviathan is, like, pulling the strings, but are they also, like, brainwashing people like Kelly? So, like, Kelly's like, no, no, this is fine. This is fine. <laughs> until until this moment. Um, but anyway, for me, it's hard to solve from that angle. But um, 
I am very happy to see Alex and Kelly on the field. Or, or yeah, I guess they're in the field. And also Alex and John. Both are great. I'm very excited. Would have loved to see more of it throughout the season. But I feel like I was promised a Nia episode. And it's been a month of her getting, like, one scene an episode. And this was, like, half of an episode. Which is, you know, I was like, well, normally that'd be great. I'd be like, yes, Nia got an A-plot. But I was like, this was the Nia episode. What are you talking about? But instead they are like, this is the Nia episode and the Kelly episode. You get it in one. Good job. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Exactly. Um, so I don't like that. Um, also, while I thought William and Kara were sweet, I do think it's unfortunate that they couldn't have Nia working on the piece with them. Like, I would have liked to see Nia put some of, get to put some of her, like, frustration into, like, writing the article or, you know, working with them to, like, investigate and, or, like, you know, interview people or whatever. I know she was busy plotting justice, but if, if the episode had been more focused on her and had given her more scenes, we could have gotten that. Plus, it's, like, a little bit, like, there's, like, two straight people <laughs> who are writing the story. Like, straight cis people who are, like, writing a story that affects right. the LGBT community. Um, <laughs> and, and consulting each other. And, and consulting each other, yes. At the very <laughs> least, I would have liked to see them interviewing people. You know? Like, like a nice, like, a more in-depth scene. Like, maybe just talking to Egret. I keep on calling it Egrets. Like, like, Game of Thrones? Yvette? <laughs> I was going to say, who is Egret? <laughs> Egret? Like, no, Yvette. <laughs> um... Because she would say, you know nothing, William and Kara Snow. Um, so that we could get to see more, like, first-person perspectives. That's, that's all. That's all. That, that would be my, like, nitpick with that. And now, finally, this is, like, a very minor nitpick, and yet it's, like, taking up the majority of my dislikes. Uh, Jeremiah is dead. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it's been, like, two seasons. Why would anyone care that Jeremiah is dead? Um, even Kara did not seem to care. Like, I cannot believe that Alex was like, Dad's dead. And Kara was like, Jeremiah? Yes, Kara, your father, <laughs> Jeremiah, the man who took you in on this earth. Like, how is it that Alex is most definitely her very real sister? We never, ever forget their super impactful sisterly bond forever. But then Alex's parents are like Eliza and Jeremiah to Kara, and they just don't register in her life at all. Like, it's not even like a reverse situation like a reverse West Allen situation where it's like okay well you are my sister but they are kind of like my best friend's parents so it's kind of just like hey people who are like my second mom and dad but are not it's literally like hello two strangers that I barely know don't really like and really literally would not care if you died (laughs) I don't understand that is all That is an excellent point about Jeremiah because when as soon as Alex said that, I was like, "Oh my God, who died?" And she's like, "Oh, Dad did." I'm like, "I thought he was dead. He's been dead for two seasons." I mean, that was the assumption, right? Like he never was brought up again. I don't. I can't even remember what happened to him for that matter. It was. I think the last time we saw him, he was like chilling out in like. Lily in the forest. storage or something. Like, was, um, oh, in the forest, because right, he escaped, right? Because he escaped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he said that he was going to go back to work with Cadmus undercover, but I could be totally wrong. I don't remember. I, um, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I so I, I guess they'll just tell us next week. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was kind of out of, <laughs> uh, out of nowhere, you know, that happened. I'm like, okay, I guess. It was just kind of anticlimactic considering all that, everything else that happened in the episode already. Um, but yeah, I agree about the whole William Carr writing the story thing. I think, I mean, 
I understand Nia was going through a lot. It would have it would have been nice, I guess, if she had made it a personal story and we had a voice over her, something like that, where she's like writing about what happened and um and like you said, like they could have reached out to like the trans community, but otherwise like Kara's finally in the office and this is what she's helping to write about. <laughs> so um yeah, that could have been tweaked. And Oh, what else? I mean, I agree about the whole VR stuff because, like, I don't get in. It's, like, been a constant nitpick with the whole company. Like, why should this this multi-billion dollar organization be in control of all of this stuff? Uh, just like the whole Lena thing. So that's just a continuing thread <laughs> of dislikes. Um Oh, man, I'm struggling. Yes, yes, it should have been more Nia. Um, I was also watching and thinking she's not really getting enough screen time or as much screen time as I would have hoped considering the storyline because I feel like it could have packed a lot more punch had she gotten more time. And the fact that Alex was doing her thing and then Nia was doing her thing, but they didn't really connect with each other at all. Like, there was no element regarding Nia's storyline that affected Alex's and vice versa. Like, Nia's storyline, I mean... I guess like you the. Read my <laughs> is that what you is that what you wrote? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I'm looking at the screen. I'm not even looking at. Because I, I didn't write any notes. I'm like, oh, oh well, our minds are one. <laughs> but I mean, I guess I I could defend it in a sense that played devil's advocate and say that it was they were both over digital, but it's not the same. <laughs> So that would have been it would have been better if they had like tied it thematically, but I'll let Jess cover the rest. But those were like my primary um, nitpicks. It was a solid episode around all around, but yes, definitely more Nia and more of her story. And it shouldn't be like we get this and that's it. So you know, it's like oh, the fandom is being fed. She needs to be. It needs to be like consistent, where it's not just like she gets this episode, she gets to express herself, and then next week we won't see her at all. So I hope that 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 will be the case moving forward. Right. Like I feel like in this, I think that was my main overall critique. I would say about this episode in an episode that was like centering Nia and it was like heavily promoted about Nia and the trans community. Oddly, I felt like it could have used a little bit more Nia. Um, it you know, it felt like Alex's storyline was more the a plot. And I'm not really exactly sure if they did much, of, if anything, to tie Nia's transphobia storyline thematically to the rest of the story or to the season in any kind of way. Um, it was kind of like randomly something that happened, and it happened to right. Yvette. So Nia has to get involved. But if they're going to do something, it feels like they kind of pulled their punch a little bit. Um because they promoted it that they were going to shine light on the situation and half the half the episode wasn't even about that or didn't even kind of tie back to that or the dangers of not knowing like, even like the dangers of not knowing who you're interacting with online because it all started with Yvette being catfished by this dude um so I don't even know I don't even think it tied back to the Richard plot unless you you count that Trevor and his friends were catfished by somebody pretending to be, you know, a cool guy that knew games or whatever. Um, but I guess yeah, that just, you just found the link. <laughs> that that is That's the it. very that is the very tiny 
thread easily that could be broken between the two, I guess. Um, but it didn't really seem like it, it could it could have focused more on Nia. It could have done more, I think, with uh, you know, like instead of William and Kara separate from Nia, trying to write an article for Nia, they could have like I don't know interviewed Yvette or interviewed Nia, gave, given her Nia like the mouthpiece to like say publicly to this guy like you don't control us you don't we're not afraid of you kind of thing and they could have done something like that I think um to really kind of like drive that point home <laughs> y'all y'all enjoyed the brainy social distancing plot I did not I did not really <laughs> like but what was the point of him like staying in the DEO like Lex wasn't in the episode uh to like look over her shoulder and say like where are you doing and unrelated Lena wasn't in the episode at all but I mean if I don't see why he had to not leave the DEO to help. And it would have, like, I I think he actually should have just gone over there and been like, are you okay? That that would have been what I would have wanted for that plot, you know, instead of him just, like, looking, staring, smoldering at a picture of her from the distance. <laughs> like, go ask her if she's okay. Like, the last conversation you had was, like, really awkward. She doesn't want to feel... <laughs> Are you okay, Nia? Only logical. Send her a photo, okay? If you want to keep it like with the digital thing, just like send her like a text message. Are you okay? You know something. Um, That's smart. Um, (laughs) Then, then like the whole VR. I didn't. I didn't have as much of an issue with the VR plot um, like you guys did. I guess the kind of fuzzy thing is, is that there's so many people using this VR, but it's not technically launched yet. So it's kind of, I don't know. Um, is it launched or is it not launched kind of thing. But it's just, like, funny. We've been talking for a couple of weeks now about Alex and her gun issues, and it's just kind of funny that um, I thought, okay, I thought that she was having issues connecting with the hand of the soldier outside in real life, and then she gets into the game, and she can do all kinds of shit with it, and then she gets back out, and the only thing that she's, like, when she was with Kara, and that was kind of a funny moment when she was with Kara, and she's, like, showing her what the hand of the soldier could do. Um and she, like, scared her. But, like, the only thing that Alex has been oh, able yeah. to turn it into is a gun. <laughs> That's it. Like, the only thing she can she can come up with is One a gun. One track land. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder if, like, because aren't the Martians, Green Martians are supposed to be, like, a peaceful group, right? And so maybe, like, the Hand of the Soldiers is like, you're just, like, too violent. So I don't want to turn anything for you. I don't know. Like, maybe that is their disconnect. <laughs> so who kn- I don't know. Who knows? Um, but, yeah. I don't I, mm, trying to see where they're going with this Alex plot civilian plot thing, and I just don't know exactly yet. So, anywho, let's go over to our faithful listeners. I see we still have Shane for the time being. Yes, Shane oh, is still sending super go. Yay, Shane! <laughs> he says, "Hey there, lovely ladies. It's great to hear incredible things about trans people on television, and I absolutely give 
I absolutely give credit to the writers and Nicole for that. Nicole's performance was real and raw and definitely tore at my heartstrings as I relate to the anger and fear conveyed. The Kara and Nia slash Nia and Yvette scenes were brilliantly done and kudos to the transphobia being addressed with full seriousness. No doubt the episode has great moments, but it ultimately fell short for me because I'm tired of the writers making Kara out to be someone both deeply oblivious to pressing social issues around her, and especially making her act like minority groups targeted by bigots fighting against fighting back against violence and harassment are just as bad as the bigots targeting them. Stop pretending oppressors and those fighting against them are equally evil. You are not quote-unquote stooping to their level by defending yourself and your community from violence, insisting that they're one and the same. Yeah. For sure. Insisting that they're one and the same is a dangerous rhetoric. Pacifism is not the approach when you have organizations actively targeting minorities. Being called a T-slur is the least of my problems when I have ended up in the ER fighting for my life. Transphobes don't have the right to breathe, and that's that on that. Well said, um, Shang. Uh, I can't believe Upswipes made it post-crisis, but isn't that his app, Upswipe? Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> yes, it is. I can't believe Upswipe's made it post-crisis, but none of Lena Luther's brain cells did. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Not> the shade. <laughs> he was very confused at William and Kara's date. They just oh. seemed like buddies playing pool. <laughs> yes, I forgot to say that. That is actually in, like, my dislikes. I guess that's another thing that was different for me than for y'all. Like, I, I thought, like, if you're going to go... Through all, you're gonna put like status through all this like grief of Supergirl fans like yelling at him. Just go full force. It's like go all out, bitches. Let's go. But like, I, and I have no idea what to make of the fact that Kara asked Alex, blue shirt or purple shirt, and Alex is like, always go with the blue, and she wore purple on stage. She called <laughs> William and asked what he was wearing so that they could match. Okay, <laughs> obviously, we know, all the signs. Love means matching. They were on opposite sides of the pool table, you know. I don't, yeah. yeah I, mean, I guess they expected a dinner at least. Or like cool. white, it just felt like it, they had, like they said that they were going to go on a date, so they just had to put it in this episode. Like, did you really need to put it in this episode when you had two other big, important plots going on? Yeah, could you could have just been like, like, oh yeah, we had a great date last night. Moving on. Patsy doesn't want to see it at all. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I don't want to see it. I'm saying like they could have done that. There was, yeah, that's because. True. What I will say about the date is that it ends so abruptly. Like, I don't care that they're on the opposite side of the pool or whatever. Like, I was like, cool. I mean, I thought it was cute that it was like, oh, he wanted to do the whole, I'll teach you pool, don't worry, move. And then she was like, oh, oops, I'm amazing at pool. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then it just, like, ended. It didn't go anywhere, right? And it, yeah. it would have been one thing that had been interrupted by the Nia situation. But yes. it was not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's fair, fair point. Um. In the end, he says, GDI, it's an Alex-centric episode next week. And I saw Kelly in the promo, too. I really like their hero and person in a chair dynamic this episode. He must support the gays. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Shane, for your super on the feedback. <laughs> and I think he was the only it one. He was the only one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Everyone's really social distancing from our emails as well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so do we have any predictions? For upcoming episodes, next week's episode, any episodes? Uh, next week they will finally address the fact that Alice wants to be a mother again. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh, so think it won't just be the Supergirl thing? It'll also. I would be hope not, right? I all the that's little things. That's because they couldn't have included the baby thing just because, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Okay. I mean, I think that we're gonna get back to the Leviathan thing and. This is not really a prediction. But wow. Hope, yeah. 
What? What I know. <laughs> I know. I'm grasping at straws. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> well <My> done. <laughs> well, I was remain the same, basically, because they haven't really played out yet. So, if you want to know what they were, go back to the previous episode <laughs> and listen again. Great promotion. <laughs> Moving on to Batwoman. Um, the episode called Mommy Dearest. More of Alice's dark past is uncovered when Cartwright shares a twisted story with Kate and Jacob until Jacob runs off. While Jacob goes searching for his wayward daughter, Mary and Luke team up to follow a lead on Best Killer. Um, and then Kate crosses a line that she cannot uncross and it's going to change probably her whole outlook on what it means to be a superhero in Gotham. Hollydale directed the episode written by Natalie Abrams in her solo debut. So what did we think of episode 15? What sparked joy? It was definitely dark, like darker than I expected. Not that the show hasn't been dark before, but they finally like took, uh, Kate to a darker place because like this whole season we've been seeing her um, try and bring Beth back to you know the quote unquote light side the whole time and she knew Beth was really in there like how could she be this evil and then she gave up on her because of her evilness and now she went to she went in a direction she never expected herself to go like not that I mean she's clearly had without like an unspoken rule that she wasn't going to kill anybody again we've seen her not kill anybody this whole time but it was really interesting to have the writers like take her in that direction because it's a big big twist like that will affect her um moving forward and like her whole thought process she was clearly shaken because she probably feels like she's not this person deep down, but she is. I guess the trigger was, like, their mom, you know? Um, and it was really interesting to see that moment with their mom because we don't really get many clues that um, Kate is Jewish, and it was nice to see this little cute little flashback with her, Beth, and their mom after their bar mitzvah. Uh, so that was really great. And it kind of set up the whole episode with regard to, like, the mom dynamic, the... Like, not just their mom, but, uh, what's his face, August's mom, and the whole fear talks and thing. The Jonathan Crane shout-out, love that. I feel like they're just building up this, uh, the Batman rogues gallery moving forward, because this is, like, the second time uh, one of the Batman villains has come up. Last week we had, like, Harvey Dent, and that was great. And I really liked the, finally we got, like, Jacob and Kate working together, because it's been so long since they've acknowledged each other. <laughs> And the fact that, like, Kate finally told him that Beth was, uh, Alice was alive, that the person, like, the the excuse that she came up with uh, about that other person being not even a doppelganger, but someone who just stole Alice's face, basically, and it makes complete sense in this world, given that they've been dealing with people who swap faces all the time, like, it's nothing. Um, So that was really clever on the writer's part. And... I really just like the all the flashback scenes in general to like how Alice even got you know we saw her as a kid and then we finally see her as like a teenager into her adulthood dealing with mommy dearest you know August's um 
mom who's just as vicious as him. And I like the fact that even though he tried to play it up as in like, oh, well, my mom was worse than me and she mistreated Alice. Kate was like, well, you locked her up and kept her there and made her cut off faces for you. So you're just as bad, too. So don't try to get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that was great. And I really liked, you know, the the build up, the tension uh, was all really well done. And the fact that Mary and Luke were also sort of investigating the same thing or they came to the same conclusion regarding Cartwright's mom was great because it was like a nice parallel and, you know, it was nice to see their dynamic because we ship it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, it was like a really generally a strong episode in terms of like the Kate and Alice dynamic and where they're going to go moving forward. Um, The fact that we got like more backstory to um, Alice's history with that family and, but it wasn't just like a blame game in here. It was more like, this is why, this is like one of her worst fears. This is why, and like how the whole facial thing in the family, like the creepiness and the the attitude and the violence and the abuse and all that stuff, is not just like Cartwright, but it's like his mom and probably her mom and dad before her. So it was just like this familial thing, um, and it was really interesting to see that play out and how that affected Kate's storyline basically. Oh, and (laughs) Sophie was not in this episode, but I had to pause the screen because I'm like, what is she typing to Sophie? Sophie's the first person she she contacted. So that was great. I like that. (laughs) You know, Kate at least has, she knows that she can come to her if she wants to talk, even though she never actually sent the rest of the text. Yeah. Support. (laughs) Um, I also love that we got a reference to Kate and Beth's uh, bat mitzvah. Um, happy to see their Judaism acknowledged and a little bit on dis- display. Also, I loved how the opening had um, that woman saving that woman from being mugged. And then she's like flying over to her next crisis. Um, I just like that we're actually getting to see her like in the swing of things. And it also gives you a more lighthearted feeling at the start of what was definitely not a lighthearted episode. And it showed Kate's growth as a hero and how the public believes in Batwoman. So, yeah, I like that. Plus, it was like a really batwoman light episode. So it's nice to see her doing her thing at the start. <clears throat> Speaking of being batwoman light, I actually liked that Kate called Jacob when she got like, August um, as Kate, right, and not as Batwoman. Um, yeah. I saw someone, like, I saw someone, like, complaining about that, like, how, like, it's, like, weird, like, it, Jacob should have a lot of questions about it. But I don't think that he should because it makes sense for Alice, that Alice to leave. Would go to Kate, yeah, exactly. That woman, right? Um, so so I was like, that makes sense to me. And also, it shows that Kate knows who her father is, and that they are actually every once in a while on the same page, <laughs> um, and acknowledging each other's existence. So yeah, um, and also because it was like she wanted them to know about mommy dearest. So I'm like, okay, I see that that's what Alice would want anyway. Um, also, um, yeah, so I like that we got a little bit more insight into Jacob and Kate's dynamic through that, and that for the first time in a while, I guess, I, you know, you could see that Jacob actually did still care about Beth, too. Um, so that was good. And, um, yeah, of course I love the reference to Jonathan Crane. (laughs) It's like a reverse Gotham situation for me, because, like, instead of getting middle-aged villains while Batman is, like, a wee child, we get, like, the legends of villains (laughs) that have already passed. When Batwoman is gone and, like, Batwoman, Batman is gone and Batwoman is taking on the 
as being passed passed on the torch. I don't know what words are today. Um, now the meat of the story. Uh, Red Queen was quite terrifying. The grandma. I thought the show did a great job of um, just showing showcasing how Beth became Alice. Right. I think a little before with the flashbacks, I was like, okay, and then this animal died, and now she's Alice. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this time we get to see a lot more of the horrors that she experienced, and it doesn't excuse her actions, of course. But Rachel's performance and Little Beth, I don't know her name, but Little Beth's performance, um, while going through all of this and, like, actually presenting the transformation, um, do a great job of explaining, like, why Kate and now Jacob aren't just going to let Beth go so easily, right? Even though Alice has done so many horrible things, we can still, like, see and sympathize with, like, the Beth inside of her somewhere. Um, so, yeah. Um, also, I thought that Rachel was especially amazing in the hallucinations with the grandma because we see her in that, that kind of, like, vulnerable and frightened position that we've never really seen her before because she's sort of, like, acting out her younger self, but now it's, like, we actually see Alice doing that. So that was quite interesting. Um, also, <laughs> when we saw... The reveal of the mom's head being in the fridge. Like, I obviously knew that the mom had to come around, like, come in some way. But I was like, what? Is the mom also going to be crazy or evil or something? Like, we're going to reveal that there's, like, a the Red Queen is actually the mom? But whatever. When it turned out to be the freaking head in the fridge, I was shocked. And I also totally understand why she would burn the house down and the grandma, too. I support you in that. Um, also, the hallucination where Kate, where Jacob and Kate were like, oh, she's not worth saving. It's good insight into like Alice's mindset, right? Like she does, like she does crave her family's affection and approval. It's interesting that like Jacob from the beginning of the hallucination was like, kill you. And then like Kate was like, no. And then she was like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because it sort of like follows the trajectory, right? Like at first she was like, Kate was trying to save me. And now Kate was like, never mind. I don't care. Um, (laughs) And I I will say that at first I was like, is this a hallucination or is this real? Because I was like, I don't know. Maybe Jacob might say that. And then Kate was like, you right. I was like, okay. (laughs) It's not clear. But they got there too fast for it to be like a a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, the road to Kate murdering someone I thought was pretty well done. I like that she's like trying to live by Bruce's code and convictions and like when uh, August slit his throat she was desperate for Mary's help too right she wasn't just gonna let him die like he deserved to die plus of course she wanted more information um but then when it's like you know okay so you turned my sister into Alice you killed or beheaded my mom <laughs> you know you killed my actual sister like okay it's time to kill you um I did laugh a little bit because I was like well, she was, like, shocked when he died. And I was like, what did you think would happen when you were choking the man whose throat is held together by stables? <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, a little bit. die, like, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it was, like, at that point, it's like, you know, it's understandable that she would break and that she would, like, lose her mind for a second. Um, and I also love how... Alice reacted to Alice. She's like, I guess both your daughters are murderers now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess we have to bury the body now. I'll just stick around and help, because why not? So, <laughs> your daughters. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I loved, um, I loved that Kate called Mary, and that Mary was still very eager to help. She doesn't hold the secret against Kate. She wants to be of use, even if she does, like, poke Luke with it a little bit. And I did love Mary and Dr. Luke as a duo. Dr. Their bickering is very cute. Mary's detective work is excellent. Luke remains a killjoy, but Mary lightens him up. 
And I'm not like, I'm not saying like they have to together. I, or I definitely ship it. But if they want to go that route, I would support them. If they don't want to go that route and they want to stay where they are at now and just have platonic hand grabs, I also support it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that is, oh wait, finally, yes, I love that Kate texted Sophie. I love that that's who she wanted to go to for comfort, even if then she re- refrained from telling it all because, I don't know, maybe she thought it would lead into Batwoman somehow, even though it wouldn't, because you could just do it all as Kate, just like Jacob was right there, but whatever. So there you go. That's that on that. Yeah, I, oh, I want to add that I love that Mary was like going through. She knew that there was some sort of secret cave somewhere, and she was going through the bookshelves, like oh, trying yeah, to figure out. There was like a, a yes, lock that was that so she could cute. <laughs> find. <laughs> I, I actually, um, you'll mention the opening scene with uh, Batwoman saving the lady from that attempted rapist. And it was great. I liked the the line because he's like, "Oh, I'm friendly," and then she drops him. And she's like, "I'm not," <laughs> and like kicks his ass. Was great. Um, you know what? Like Natalie may have shitty taste in ships, and you know, yes, I'm referencing the Flash season one. Will I ever let it go? <laughs> no, never. But she does write a decent episode, and I think it helps that. Like, if I had to guess, like her favorite character on the show is probably Alice and or Kate, and this episode heavily centered both. So it just kind of like leaned into her wheelhouse probably a lot, um, and and it paid off for this episode. Um, I've said before, I love all things Alice in Wonderland, so the whole Alice concept, first of all, um, is really intriguing to me. And then also in this episode, getting the introduction to the Queen of Hearts and how she plays into it and seeing kind of the birth of Alice uh, as we know her was, like, really great. And it's kind of interesting because I wonder, like, I feel like when August kidnapped her, he knew her name was Beth. I knew her name was Beth because obviously people were looking for Beth. Um, But in the flashback, by this point, when the mom comes to live with him, he's calling her Alice. So I'm kind of, like, wondering, like, where in their familial mental psyche they all kind of broke into these Alice in Wonderland stereotypes. Because now, like, August calls um, his son Mouse. Beth is Alice. Um, and then, like, Alice is obviously cracked at this point, And so she's calling, like, the grandmother, like, the queen of hearts. And it's just kind of, like, they kind of all, like, go with it, I guess. Um Seeing the Queen of Hearts uh, and her personality, how she interacts with not only Alice, but also August um, and her kind of, you know, she she was very like in character, you know, so you could, you could kind of see why Alice imprinted the Queen of Hearts onto her because she was very kind of like flippant with regards to other people's feelings and obsessed with like beauty and youth um, and everything like that. So the whole the whole reveal of like her wanting like their mom's face and wanting August to like fix her face was just like really really creepy but I loved the fact that Alice was kind of able to um escape or emancipate herself from the situation by literally frying the queen of hearts. And it's kind of, it's, it was nice because in the beginning when they first showed up, August was smoking like a pipe or whatever. And she's like, you know, I have this oxygen tank. Are you trying to kill me? And then that comes around in, in mm-hmm. when it is actually how Alice like actually kills her with a flame, open flame and oxygen tank. So that was great. Um, what else? I, I feel like saying like 
Kate killing someone is spark joy <laughs> is a weird thing <laughs> to say. But I think you talked about before how in like the cal in the comics, like Kate not having the same like no kill mentality as Bruce does does um kind of sets her apart in that sense. And so it seems like we're actually right. gonna get into that into the show. So that is and August was her first kill that set you know, maybe sending her down a different path of being a hero. Um and also in the current Arrowverse world, you know, we just talked about in Supergirl this whole you can't kill people because that makes you as bad as they are kind of thing is um, par for the course in the Arrowverse. And so this kind of action will also set her apart from heroes like Kara and Barry that are constantly told, like, you're better than them. Don't stay to their level. You know, that kind of you must be hopeful right. all the time kind of thing. <laughs> so that will be interesting to see come the next mini crossover or a large crossover if that has any kind of um has any kind of tension amongst the justice league on how people do things um so that's that's interesting that's very interesting to kind of go down that route mary and luke team up um the whole back and forth i thought they just like played off each other really well i, I really liked when mary got like a lead and she called luke and she expected luke to call kate and he's like well, where's Kate? And he's like, you didn't call her? And he's like, well, aren't you her keeper? Like, aren't you her sister? Like, touche, Luke. Touche. <laughs> this round, round one, Luke is my Mary hero. <laughs> but then Mary pulled through on, like, finding, trusting Matt and whatever. Um, so they kind of evened it out. And I liked that, um, you know, in round two, when Batwoman called Mary and, and Mary had to, like, help her through the situation while Luke was in the dark. And yeah, then, like, he's like, what, what happened? <laughs> she was like, Dr. Vincenti Privilege. <laughs> so that was that was fun. So they kind of, like, evened out there. Um, and then, like, also, of course, like, Mary trying to, like, pull on random books on the bookcase to open, like, a secret door to the Batcave. He's like, so close, Mary. So close. She's very close to finding it, but um, not a book. Um, so that was really great. Um, Alice, I think Rachel um, Scarsden had a really great powerhouse performance, not only in the flashbacks, but also, like you said, like the hallucinations of the fear toxin and confronting, like, the, the queen. The fact that when she was finally able to free herself and Jacob comes in just, like, she was, she's about to, like, kill herself because she can't take it anymore, and Jacob comes in just in time, and she doesn't even believe that it's him until he, like, tackles her to the ground. Um, so I thought that was really, it made Alice seem very, very vulnerable. Um, you actually got to feel a lot more for Alice and kind of understand her if you didn't before. You, you definitely do now. Um, I also liked, I also liked the, her little Snyder mark to Jacob, like, both your daughters are killers now. I thought that was, like, hilarious. And the fact that now <laughs> she is, and the fact that she's, like, to Kate, like, bodies don't bury themselves, like, we have to go. Um, so I, I'm curious about how this will affect their relationship going further uh, into the season, because I've got to feel like Alice is, feels like she has, like, a one-up now, like, an advantage that she's, like, finally gotten through to Kate. Like, not killing was a thing that was, like, the barrier that was separating them, and now that Kate has, like, crossed this path, it's like, come to darkness, Kate, come to darkness. So that will be interesting to see how that relationship evolves, especially with Jacob now in the mix as well. So, yay. 
What did not spark joy? Um, I guess, like, the whole Red Queen thing, like, they, she just came off as really petty in the sense that it – let me backtrack. It was, like, very one-dimensional for me since we only got to meet her in this episode and she died in this episode. We didn't get more of her in general as to, like, why she she is also the way she is. Like, now we understand Cartwright. But, like... Violence. Yeah, cycle of violence. But, like, I don't know. I guess because of the whole obsession with youth and, like, being beautiful, it just made it seem like that's the type of thing a woman would be mad at you know you know what I mean so like I don't know that I liked that aspect of her whole personality the actual Alice in Wonderland isn't like the queen of hearts like also like really petty though right that's what I think like for me this is what I was gonna say my thing but I'm just gonna step on May now (laughs) Uh, is do it 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 felt (laughs) like they were writing her so that she would believably be the queen of hearts um, and not like she's like a reasonable, not of course not reasonable, but like it's not like this is a realistic portrayal of like a crazy abusive lady, and then that's why, you know, she calls the Queen of Hearts. That's why, blah blah blah. We're gonna have the head chopped off. It felt like she was like written reverse engineered, if you will. There you go. Yeah, that makes sense. But I don't know. Like maybe it's just like a personal. I grew up with. I knew older women who were like super obsessed with like youth and constantly commenting on like younger women and what like what they look like so it's just like bothers me that she was so stuck on the way Alice was behaving like we didn't really get to see how she necessarily treated Mouse I mean I'm sure she treated her morally well yeah I remember like when she first came in she's like oh look you fixed his face so obviously it was something <laughs> that, that bothered her and that she probably yeah. spoke about like quite often and to his face, so Yeah, for sure. But like that's that was like that was one of the main things. Um so, oh, like yes, so Sophie, like we we had her storyline last week, she came out to her mom and then she's nowhere to be found. So I thought that was like odd that they didn't pick up at least like one scene with her to at least like give us a heads up about what's going on in her life. At least, especially since, I guess, like, we saw Jacob, and he was there for Kate and whatnot. He could have come from the Crow's security, and he could have been, like, talking with Sophie or something like that to see that, oh, she's back working with them, and this is what they're doing. Because I feel like not having her in there at all made no sense, considering how big of a plot she had last week, and there was no pickup. I get it, but I don't feel like she had there's I don't think there's any space for anything else in this episode, even like a random what is Sophie uh, or what are the crows up to even? I'm trying to find so, things. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but I agree, like no Sophie, I also agree it's sad, but unless she was in unless like the attempted race rape was trying to like hit on Sophie for some reason in the beginning, I don't know where she could have been plopped into it that made sense because both plots like mary and luke plot connected back to beth and the killer which sophie doesn't really know about so or doesn't know that you know beth was a fake or not a fake but like well she she would probably think that she's a fake but still you're making too much sense uh, yeah I, I, I hate, <laughs> i'm <laughs> madly a loose defender <laughs> oh. <laughs> tati or do you have any other dislikes that i can debunk 
<laughs> I, I am ready for you to debunk me. Um, <laughs> okay. So, um, like May was saying, uh, actually, wait, first I'll just say, I thought that August's plan, like August's plan is that he's going to make Mouse see Alice, right? Fear toxin, her, his worst fear is going to be Alice. Um, sure and then, works, huh? <laughs> I'm not sure how he how he knew that would work. Exactly. But, you know. yeah. like, how did that work? How did is Mouse's worst fear Alice? Alice? Because I feel like this is a whole new like half the time Alice seems like he or Mouse seems like he could control Alice. So I don't right. see. I don't know. I, that's why I was like, is this real? Did he like just convince him to that? I don't. Whatever. Um, and was then like fear Alice, or was the fear that Alice had killed the. Like, Grandma, though, I don't know why he would be upset about that. Yeah, because no, she was shitty. I don't think that that was it. I think it was, yeah, yeah it was really. And then, and then that would make Alice see her worst fear, right, which is the grandma. So, I was like, how did we, what? And then we just, like, should we just go even crazier and yeah. just. Like, like Mouse had like fear toxin. He was supposed to be going crazy, but he had enough sense to like hook Alice up to the fear toxin. Yeah. And leave. Mm. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess August August is just a mad genius. He doesn't whatever. So I thought that part was a little bit silly. But um, yes, Grandma Queen of Hearts, Red Queen, whatever was horrible and abusive. But like, yeah, August was too. So it's a little bit weird that they're like, this was the real story. You know, like this is just really how bad it was. I was like, mm, I don't know, August is pretty bad. He literally beheaded best mom <laughs> so that he could give his his crazy mom her jewelry. Um, so so I definitely thought that it helped fill in the Alice gap. But like I said, I thought it was like it was like random. We've never heard about this woman before, right? Suddenly she appeared in this episode. It seemed like they just were like, hey, I know. Let's add this character. Because um, there was never any hint before that there was like another person that they were terrified of until they said the red queen or the queen of hearts whatever they called her um so yeah also yeah like her appearance the obsession with the appearance felt a little bit like we have to do this as an like it was an explanation not just why she's the queen of hearts but also why dad became a psychopathic surgeon who lost people's faces but as a character trait for her it was as may said one-dimensional i was like okay sure that's her thing and she's also <laughs> <laughs> she's also with that mom in Cinderella as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, also, no Sophie in this episode. I hate it here, and I want to go home. So that's all. Yeah, I just I just realized that I said at the in the beginning of this episode was called Mommy Dearest, which it wasn't. It was just part of the episode description. But the episode was called Off with Her Head, right? Yes, mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, Off with Her Head, and it was the mom's head. <laughs> okay, it's all yeah. coming together. I thought, okay, speaking of what didn't spark joy, that, that did not spark joy. Like, it being, like, the mom's head in the refrigerator and, like, he was supposed to cut off her face to give it to his mom, but he didn't for some reason or he was trying to hold off. Like, I don't know. I felt like the reasoning for him keeping a head in the freezer was faulty. Um I don't, like, what, was it necessary? I guess it was necessary to, like, I, you know, Alice had to snap at some point, but it just feels, like, extra-ly grotesque that yeah. the mom already died once, and you're chopping off her head. It just felt, it felt like, very manufactured, because he could have, like, taken the mom and chopped off her head and not have kidnapped Beth, and then she would have never known, they would have never known that their mom's head was in some guy's, like, freezer, but... You know, it just seemed like very extra. And then with like the, you know, her finding out because grandma had the earrings and then somehow she knew 
like seeing those earrings, there is something in that freezer. And she, that's how she like finds out. <laughs> that's yeah. true. That was a little bit forced or contrived, I think. Um, and then also, like, I have to say, like, she was doing so well. She made so much improvements from the pilot, but I guess, like, rage acting is not Ruby's strongest point. Like, when she, when she, <laughs> when she got mad at August and was, like, throwing stuff off the table, I was like, okay, Kate, come on. It's a nitpick, but, you know, I'm sorry. Like, she's been doing so well, and I like her a lot, and yeah. other stuff, just, like, that scene was a little, like, I don't know. Kate being mad is kind of like a weak spot, I think. And then, yeah, we talked about No Sophie, which is sad. I think it was, in a, like I said, I think it's hard to, like, put Sophie into a plot because both plots didn't really have a way for Sophie to tie into it. But still, No Sophie, No Happiness. So, there. <laughs> Shang also sent in some Batwoman feedback. He's, he's starting to Indeed. migrate over to Batwoman. We love so please, it. Yes. Please share with us what his thoughts Batwoman were. Getting some love. So he says he says that Kate killed someone, and I'm super stoked because we are finally getting to see how killing changes someone. Also because she killed an abuser. It's what he deserved. <laughs> Batwoman is a killer in the comics, which is something that that stands out between her and Bruce, so I'm really curious to see how the writers handle the storyline. Rachel portrays Alice so well, I'm shook all the time. I hope she sleeps well knowing she is the best villain ever. Uh, Mary and Luke's dynamic is the cutest thing ever. I definitely ship it. Bros or lovers, I'm down for either. We are too, Shang. (laughs) Any predictions (laughs) on what will happen in the future of Batwoman? When Mary grabs Luke's hands the next episode, he will like it. (laughs) (laughs) Because he doesn't think that he's her brother, so. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Jessica's so tired of us. (laughs) I do not have any predictions. (laughs) I'm going to save you all from from my terrible predictions. I guess like the only thing that I'm I'm wondering about is if Alice will probably double down on join the dark side, Kate, now that Kate knows what the dark side potentially looks like. And now that Mouse doesn't like her or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's Mouse is still running out there high on fear toxin. Where the fuck is he going? And now his dad's dead, so now he's like and so now I guess made- Mouse is the villain, sort of, because he's against Alice. I wonder, like, who else in, in Alice in Wonderland have we not met? Oh, it'd be cool if we met, like, a Jabwocky. Yes! <laughs> the only thing that I think we haven't, the main character that maybe we haven't met yet is the White Rabbit. But I feel like they're just, you know, the White Rabbit is just, like, one of her thugs. So that's boring, but... It's too bad no one can play the Cheshire Cat. That's a shame. Well, they killed the cat. <laughs> that's true. So, Yeah. I would like to know what the tea party is. If they're oh, maybe he'll mm. go throttle on that now because wasn't she holding back because of Kate mm-hmm. or trying to like convince Kate to love her? Um, so we and we never fa- figured out what that tea party was. So maybe that will come back in full force. So we'll see. Okay, so that concludes side A. Do we have any lady with gumption nominees for Supergirl and for Batwoman? Obviously, yeah, Supergirl of course. Yeah. 
Yes. Yes. For sure, Nia. Um, I, I mean, I guess Kate for murdering. <laughs> or Alice for murdering. We have two murderers here. That's true. <laughs> that is very true. Oh. Oh, yeah. I mean, Alice a- more than Kate, actually. Alice for having the gumption to murder the Queen of Hearts. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We can do Alice. I, I accept it. Cool, cool, cool. Moving over into side B, The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, the prize is everything slash consent to hug you. So <laughs> first up on The Flash, takes on a dangerous new meta named Sunshine. Is she, though? Is she that dangerous? Um, <laughs> who is after a prism a refractor for uh, Joseph Carver and Black Hole, who is also after a prism refractor? The Bad Girls Club of Eva, Iris, and Camilla. Mm-hmm. Eva welcomes new mirror, mirror image Camilla into the group and tasks both Iris and Camilla with stealing this prism refractor for unknown reasons other than the fact that she needs it as she scratches nervously on her arm. Um, so while Cisco and, or sorry, while Iris and Camilla are trying to get the prism refractor and while the Flash Frost and Jill are also trying to stop Sunshine from getting the prison refractor. Cisco sets out to help sets out to help Nash, who has been possessed by the reverse flash. And Cisco, Cecile, and Barry must perform an exorcism on Nash to help him both face his grief of losing his doppelganger daughter Maya, aka Allegra, while also rejecting the reverse flash from his system. Eric Dean Seaton directed this episode and was written by Lauren Barnett and Sterling Gates. What sparks joy? (laughs) Uh, Well, I will agree. I agree with what Jess will say, that the episode succeeded in making Nash interesting. However, I will mostly track it up to Tom's excellent performance as both Nash and Thawne in the episode. Uh, Speaking of which, Grant also gave an excellent performance, especially in response to uh, Nora being brought up by Thawne. I um, love that we are getting these references, and I strongly feel like it will lead to something that hopefully we will see this season. Um, I mean, previous to the break of coronavirusing. <laughs> so um, I also um, I, I, I like that he like almost killed Reverse Flash with his vibrating hand, just because a it shows that he's being pushed to his limits this season, and b this is the second time this season that he has tried to kill someone with his right in hand. So I'm like, okay, this should be addressed. <laughs> Clearly, Barry's having some anger management. Barry wants to join the kill club, Kate. <laughs> exactly. He heard He heard that it was going around. He heard everyone's doing the cool thing now. So, so I think it's interesting that he's, you know, being, or that he's feeling that kind of, like, lost, if you will. Um, I have a lot of qualms with the Maya storyline, and I'll talk about that later, but I do, again, I read, I will reiterate that I felt a lot for Nash during it, and I thought that they managed to make this filler plot, uh, quite interesting. I, uh, the idea of trapping Nash in his lowest moment, very devious, very clever of Thon, and I even liked the explanation they gave of the confluence of wells, basically, right? Like, all these, like, wells coming together because Nash is, like, a little time traveler, Indiana Jones man, and then, like, Thawne could sneak in because of the absence of the speed force or the dying of the speed force, blah, blah, whatever. All this, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to believe it. It makes sense. It's better than y'all's usual explanations. <laughs> um, Cecile and her exorcism kit, very adorable. I like Cecile. I love her in these limited doses especially. 
her powers don't make any sense, but when she uses them, they can be fun. <laughs> um, even the mirror mistresses, um, also very creepy, very enjoyable to watch, but it was like chilling watching them speak in unison, seeing them scratch themselves when, when she scratches yeah. herself, but it's almost like, it's like, it's not even like unconscious for them when they do it. It's like they know that they're going to do it and they're like, mm, don't want to do it, but I have to do it. So it's like kind of weird. I'm like, hmm, what does this mean? Um, also, um, I will, I definitely agree with the idea that Mirror Iris was, like, at once, like, tired of playing her role, right? She's, like, ready to get it over with. But at the same time, her pep talk was crazy, pep talk was crazy good. Um, it felt like genuine Iris, um, and it felt like she really believed what she was saying. So I'm like, is Mirror Iris, like, tapping deep into her Iris reserves? Or is Mirror Iris wavering and, like, change of heart? Yeah. Exactly. Especially with, think? like, the trailer, because the trailer, he was, like, drain him, and she's like, ugh. She's like, I don't oh, like that. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. So, yeah. But even before the trailer, I felt in this scene, and I was like, I think that she has a, there is a part of her that does believe in Barry, you know? Like, she does believe what she's saying, that Barry should be this kind of hero. And also, like, I'm waiting to find out what the result is. Like, what is their plan? Because so far, their plan seems to be against Black. Joy. No, this is good. I, okay, I okay. like it. Okay, okay. <laughs> so far, <laughs> keeping you on track. <laughs> so far, their their plan seems to be that they um are against Black Hole, you know, mm-hmm. and that's also what Barry and his team are, you know. So like, I'm like, hmm, I'm. This is kind of what it should be, is predictions. But anyway, I think that we can see them actually working together, even with knowing the truth. So I like that it's that direction because I think that we can see them more as antiheroes than villains, um, especially if. Camilla is actually in the Mirrorverse and not, like, dead. Um, I love, uh, speaking of the Mirrorverse, I love that Joe's finally catching on that something is wrong. Thank you, Wally. Um, I loved him sort of, like, prodding Iris about it. Like, go, why aren't you checking on Barry? Like, what is going on? Um, and then Iris being like, oh, okay, okay, I will go do it. I'll go pretend like I love Barry. Um, I super loved Joe and Singh working together to uncover the mole. Um, glad to have uh, Patrick back for an episode. Um, some people, I think, were suggesting that Sting was, like, replaced by, like, a mirror self, like, halfway through, just because he was, like, suddenly gung-ho. I think that might have just been, like, an editing thing. We'll see. But either way, I was really happy to see them both working on the case. Just the continuing of Joe actually doing his job. We love to see it. <laughs> um, also love to see Barry taking down the enemy in the old-fashioned scientific method kind of way, using his galaxy brain thanks to fake Iris's pep talk. Thank you, Iris. Fake Iris. Thank you, Barry, for actually, you know, doing the legwork for once, even when you don't have your full-speed legs. And that's that. Yes. Um, I'm very much enjoying 6B. Like, I don't even, it's not my dislikes yet, but I don't even know if I can say that many bad things. So all the likes, um, I thought what they did with, like, with this show, a lot of times we'll, we'll be watching and, you know, like, this doesn't make any sense. There's too much exposition. What are you doing? And in this episode, I was like, huh, that makes sense. I understand why Wells or why Thawne was stuck inside of Wells. <laughs> and how they – it was great that they dealt with the Wells problem. They sort of simultaneously killed all the Wellses and kept – figure out a way to keep Thawne around without – having him be attached to Tom Cavanaugh. <laughs> so I thought that was really good because, you know, then he can just show back up whenever he wants to later. So it's not like the end. <laughs> I know. Bring it back, cowards. <laughs> um, 
So all of that was really good. It was like one of the only times where I really felt, um, well, no, I felt bad for him last week, but I felt a lot bad for him this week in terms of like the storyline and, and the fact that like he really brought the emotion. Like you understood why he was so stuck on Allegra's because primarily because of his own guilt with what happened to Maya. So it wasn't that he was just being a creeper. He was like trying to make himself feel better over the fact that it was partially his fault for what happened because he was just so intent on the physical part of his job, like in terms of like grabbing the artifacts and whatnot that he finds rather than seeing that there was somebody there who he had grown to care about and whatnot. So that was like really affecting him. And I really like how they played that into the Thawne storyline because Thawne was kind of feeding off the negativity, negative feelings of um, Wells and of Barry because once Barry was in there too, we saw uh, Thawne again use Nora against him like he has been doing for a very long time now. It's super creepy. But I really like that Barry, like, finally told him off, essentially. Like, what what has been great about Barry all these seasons is that he doesn't see emotion as something bad. He uses that as a strength, and that's always been one of the best things about him. Like, he has a lot of heart. So it was nice to finally see the fact that he was, you know, not about to be guilted into thinking that he didn't care about Nora the same way that Thawne did or that, you know, he was just terrible all this time. So that was a really great and powerful and emotional moment. And, of course, um, I really like the Mirror storyline and, like, where it's going because we're getting so much more of that and it's super creepy and, like, Ava has these minions, but also they have a mind of their own. Like, they're not fully... They're controlled by her, but at the same time, like, they're doing their own thing. But um, I don't know that I would call Iris' speech, like, really Iris Iris, because you could see, like, how impatient she was being throughout the whole thing. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to sit here and continue pep-talking you right now. <laughs> but so this needy. is my last resort. <laughs> Iris, like, your man is so needy. Goddamn. <laughs> but it was, like, it was interesting. Like, I was... <laughs> frustrated in the sense I'm just like man you don't want I, you want him to find out like this is Iris but at the same time he's like she's making some good points <laughs> so it was great that um you know to see the fact that she she was through her impatience she got through to him anyway and he's like you know what yeah I'm always too focused about on being the flash I need to just be me and think outside the box so that whole thing the whole plan was just brilliant I thought because like you see Barry was running but he wasn't running as a flash he was just running as Barry into, <laughs> into his lab um, which is always great to see um, the shades looked really cool him and Joe working together was really fun um, the whole exorcism part was really cool because we got to see Cecile be an active part of the plan even though like Tati said her you know her powers don't really make much sense anymore anyway but in this instance they they did to some degree yes, anyway they worked here <laughs> um what else oh yes of course joe catching on to iris because she was just about to lose it she's like yes and i need that artifact but like oh right barry i need to go talk to barry excuse me <laughs> 
So that was um, a really good moment. I think Candace is killing it and playing like Mirror Iris and the small but very obvious choices that she's making to differentiate uh, between them and like how even Mirror Iris has kind of evolved from when we first saw her to how she is now working with uh, Barry and the rest of Team Flash and how that dynamic is going. So I'm glad people are finally starting to catch on and it's all been building and it's great to see this storyline sort of like tie continue to like to tie in with each other and the fact that like Tati said you know Ava is seems to be after bringing down Black Hole too so um that's leading somewhere and I'm glad like we continue to get all this Black Hole stuff even without having to see Carver we just know that there's something iffy going on so that's really great and a great use of like a villain without having to have him in every other episode to tell us again that he's a villain like they have done in the past. So all of that was wonderful. Yeah. I know like a, I saw like a lot of chatter on Twitter from like West Islander Irish fans that just did not enjoy this episode and thought it was like horrible. But I mean like sorry girlies, I actually like this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't find it boring at all. I actually thought it did a lot to make Nash a lot more of a compelling character than had been to this point. I mean, of course, it was a filler episode. Um, the Flash, Team Flash, didn't even get around to starting to accomplish the objective they set out to do in the end of the previous episode, which was to build a speed force, um, because they got sidetracked. But the exorcism of Nash Wells, I thought, was really entertaining. Um, Mir Iris and Mir Camilla, on the other hand, did accomplish their mission, so, you know, who is the better team? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but, like, they did. I mean, they, they accomplished their mission from Eva to steal the prison inspection thingy. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they were able to intercept it. I feel like that was kind of glossed over um, from Argus because it was, like, first Sunshine was trying to get it, and they stopped that in the CCP plot, and then they were, like, shifted off to Argus. So I don't really know where along that route. Eva, um, Iris, and Camilla intercepted it, but they they did what they were supposed to do. So we're one step closer to figuring out what Eva actually wants, which is great. Because um, hopefully that means we're one step closer to getting our Iris back. Um, we didn't really get to see Camilla interact with any like unsuspectings to see how her behavior differs from the real deal. Um, because the only person that she interacted with was Iris. But we did get to see Joe finally become suspicious of Iris and her distance with, with Barry and how, you know, thinking back to last year's crossover and Barry and Iris and their, or Barry and Oliver really in this else world. Um, and they're like bringing up that touch is their love language and how they are always so close. And then, you know, Joe is talking to Barry and Iris who both had like a, like a life or death situation. Iris being the one to um, be the first person to see Sunshine, and then Barry losing his speed and, and you know his attempts at being useful backfiring, and so they both like went through this like real situation, but they're so far apart from each other, <laughs> and so it's finally like Joe's like, what is like I'm glad both of y'all are okay. Like I think I think even at that point, like it wasn't just that he was noticing that Iris didn't care about Barry. But also that Barry wasn't really saying anything for Iris. And so he's like, what is going on? Oh, and then the fact true. that 
you know, he had to remind Iris a second time that, you know, shouldn't you go after your husband and let me do my job? Like, I got this. Go look, at, go look after your man. Um, was, you know, another kind of, like, red flag, hopefully, for him that something is they are less connected than he thought or the problems that Barry brought up back in 611 were more seriously or more serious than he initially thought that they were. So I think that's a good for him to like get his mind, the gears turning in his head. Um, and then I also feel like Mira Iris is starting to get like really like Tati previewed my thoughts. So basically she's starting to get like impatient on being outside the mirror for so long. Um, and, uh, but she like weirdly delivered a better pep talk this week than she did last week about various powers, like reminding him not to use a flash as a crutch and that he was also a hero without his speed. He has a, a medal of honor as Barry Allen. Um, so he can stop criminals without using his powers as a crutch. I thought it was a really um, good pep talk, to be honest. It's like, wow, this is actually, you're making some points here. And so, it, and it was like so convincing to the fact that I wonder if like, she's starting to like believe in the act herself. Like she's, she's really like feeling more like Iris now and she's like trying to push Barry because she actually believes in him as Barry like you know part of it I think she's trying to like get Barry to go somewhere but also part of it feels like she believed in him as Barry more than she does as a flash or something so I don't know that plus next week I don't know we'll see um Barry Allen getting all forms of Iris real and unreal to love him is something, I don't know, I guess a, a trait of his. We would like to see it. I really like the conversation between Barry and Thon that was mentioned before in Nash's, like, mindscape. Um, and it's interesting because, Na- or, sorry, Thon built his speed force and it runs, the negative speed force runs off of, like, negative feelings. That's why he was, like, really hammering into Nash about um, his his uh, relationship with Maya. And then when Barry came in, he was, like, really digging in. And he's so freaking creepy about Nora. Like, I, I get, ugh. But, like, him, him, like, going after Barry and saying that, you know, you were a horrible father. I was a better father than you were and all this kind of stuff. Um, really just trying to, like, not only – feed off of Nash's negativity, but also Barry's. Um, I liked that Barry was like, you know, not today, Satan. Like <laughs> That is not the case. I still love my daughter very much. Thank you very much. Now it's a great father. Um, and I like that conversation also tied in with the conversation between Cisco and Nash over the grief of loved ones lost and how Cisco related losing um, Cynthia to Nash losing Maya. Um Although, if this is where they were going with that whole Cynthia death plot, I mean, Cisco's brother also died, so I feel like they could have called that one back and not killed yeah. Cynthia off, but, you know, right. the conversation still works. Um, we can't think that crisis brought him back. I, they did, it didn't. I know. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you yeah. can't prove that, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I think Cisco would have, like, had a a conversation with his brother by now if he was still alive. That would that probably would have been the first thing on his like new universe world tour to figure out if his brother was still alive or not. Um so yeah, party pooper over here. Um 
I think Sunshine was an okay villain in that she served her purpose and did what she had to do. I don't know what it is with Carver and light villains. He has, like, a fetish with light villains, I guess, because she's a light villain. Dr. Light is a light villain. Um, and then the trade-off between Caitlin and Frost actually made sense this episode. So, you know, they actually manage both sides of that character in the appropriate functions for what they were made to do. So, yay. Because <laughs> they hadn't been doing that for a while. But um, what did That's true. I almost forgot that they were both in the episode. Yeah. Hmm. What did for the limited time that they were there? What did not spark joy? I think in general, I think the way that they're dealing with uh, like the loss of or potential loss of Barry Speed is just kind of like dumb. Like, <laughs> like you said, like they had a plan, right? Or they, or supposedly they have a plan. But uh, Mirror Iris and Mirror Camilla got through there as much faster than Team Flash did, which is just kind of like we should do something. Okay, we'll come up with me eventually. <laughs> when, like, normally, Cisco and Caitlin go into a room somewhere, and then two hours later, they're like, magic and science are one, and we have solved this problem. Now they're like, mm, no ideas, no thoughts, head empty. Just don't run, Barry. And then Barry's like, I will run, even when it's like someone is jaywalking, and I must stop them from jaywalking. I will run to stop them. I was like, okay, Barry. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't necessarily mind Caitlin like schooling Barry on that because like yeah he should know better but I felt like the episode harped on it so much and like made him look so dumb like yes of course he should know better why is he doing this just so they could have this like dumb fight and then like make up at the end and be like we will find a way in episode 21 so you won't even see it happen this year um well this year but, you know, in the fall rude <laughs> <laughs> So, like, eh, I don't know. I was just kind of like, I think that y'all could do better than that. And and while I love Barry figuring out how to stop the villain by himself at the end of the episode, I think that he could have devoted some of that to trying to stop, you know, or trying to restart the Speed Force by himself and actually take a bad seat and let other people be heroes. Like, does he not believe that they can be heroes? Come on. Come on, guys. Like, we've been doing, like, weren't you prepping them to be heroes when you died in crisis? So why don't you pretend like you died in crisis? Yes. Yeah, yeah what happened to that, Barry? <laughs> yeah, so whatever. Also, um, even though I thought that, you know, Tom did a really good job in the in the uh, Maya plot slash, you know, Thawne plot, etc., I just, in general, since it was clear that this is what happened, I have not been a fan of this whole, like, fridge doppelganger for Nash's man pain. Um, like, oh no, Maya died and Nash blamed, him, blamed himself and that's why he has feelings about Allegra and it's like even weirder because it's like when I thought that Allegra was literally his daughter that's like one thing but now it's like you look like this one girl that I mentored and then she died and now I just have weird feelings about you I'm like okay this is literally nothing to do with Allegra like there's nothing about Allegra that would make that happen except for her face so I don't know it's just strange um so yeah it just makes it like and like Allegra wasn't even in this episode it was just Maya at the very end I thought at least there'd be like some kind of hint of like how will he deal with Allegra in the future, you know? Maybe a scene of him speaking words to Allegra. Or maybe Allegra would somehow be involved in the fact that, like, literally the entire office is now mirror people. <laughs> but No! <laughs> no actual Allegra! Just Maya and her dying. So, okay. Uh, and then I'm just, Sunshine, just a pass. Um, this, that's all. Yeah, I have nothing. Like, I have nothing to say about Sunshine because I have no feelings about her because she was just blah. Are those all your 
Dislikes, my dear. That's all my dislikes. That's all right. <laughs> I was going to joke that um, Barry didn't believe that anybody could save Central City by him because he's seen Frost get knocked out too many times. <laughs> but speaking of, of sunshine, my um, my friend sent me a very frustrated text about how this show doesn't understand how Killer Frost's powers work and how they've never understood how her powers worked because Sunshine shouldn't have been able to take her out because she should have absorbed the heat and then created the cold, but alas. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I agree about the whole Allegra thing because I feel like if they were going to make her the doppelganger, then they should have just kept her name as Allegra and maybe inserted some sort of storyline where Allegra was like, yeah, I lost my parents. And then Nash is like, oh, well, I can be your pseudo-parent now because I lost my Allegra, and so here you are, and we can make amends. But that did not happen. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily need to see her die um, because that was just another woman dying on a show so a man can cry about it. <laughs> Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of like this, the speed thing, I was going to say that there feels just feels like they're biding their time because they want it to sync up with all the stuff that's happening with black hole in the mirror so that they can finally like get a move on. Um, my only fear is that it'll be too late, <laughs> um, in the season because we only have so many episodes left. Um, but I don't know that, that was, those were my, my points. I liked most everything. So I'm going to stop. I mean, like, I'm trying to think about anything that Tati didn't already cover. (laughs) Because I know that there there was something else and I couldn't remember what it was, but it'll come back to me. Okay, maybe I will spark your (laughs) dislike in mine. Um, Well, you know what? Something that didn't spark joy, like someone pointed out on Twitter, it looked like Barry wasn't wearing his wedding ring, so, like, I don't like that. (laughs) But that was for next week. Huh? That's no, for the next episode. No, it's from this no. week because he was wearing the speed watch. I think it was from this week, actually. But if it's from next week, either way, I don't like it. Um, the whole like Caitlin trying to like ground Barry like a child so he wouldn't go out to the field. Like I agree with Tati. Like yes, Barry. Like Barry should know that if his speed is limited, then maybe he should let the fifty million other heroes on Team Flash do something. But like. Instead of, like, getting impatient and going out anyway. Because it just shows that they don't really communicate very well. And then also that Barry has no faith in Frost to handle a situation. Um, Like, I don't really understand, like, why he was in such a hurry about it. Also, like, just as I wrote this in my notes, like, I just now realized that Ralph was once again on this episode. Because he would have been another person that could have gone out and, you know, gone to face Sunshine instead of uh, Barry. And yeah, they're not even saying what he's doing anymore. They're not even. They don't even care. I mean, they just just under the blanket of chasing Sue, and that's all that he's doing somewhere off screen that we don't know about. Um, But yeah, I thought, why does he have Velocity Nine stuck in a pin machine anyway? Like, like Barry, (laughs) why? And the whole idea of um, I didn't like the whole idea last week of the three of them building a speed force. I just feel like. His powers shouldn't work that way. He shouldn't be forcing it that way. And it seems like that's what he's doing. And he's not learning the lesson that that's not how his connection to the Speed Force should work. Um, 
So the fact that that's taking some time is a little bit annoying. Um, I'm not frustrated with the black hole plot, but it is kind of like, I guess because you don't know where the ending is, like when Iris gets out of the mirror. So it just kind of feels like it's dragging a little bit. And of course they have to like space it out because of, you know, you've got 22 episodes and the spec app is like 12 or however many episodes in the back half. And so it, she can't get out too soon, but it, it does feel like it's, it's starting to stretch the boundaries of my sanity <laughs> of, uh, how long she's going to be in the mirror. And then also the fact that we don't even know exactly what Eva's plan is just yet. We know that they're doing something, but I don't, at this point, I'm not sure if they need the prism refractor to get Eva out of the mirror or is it just to destroy black hole from within the mirror? Like, and you know, they're going to be out for an indefinite period of time. Like, I don't know what the end game is, so I can't really gauge how long Iris is supposed to be stuck or not. And so I think that kind of adds to a lot of people's anxiety about where the story is going. But it, it's still an interesting story. It's just, you know, the unknown is, is freaking out a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Um, with, I just remembered. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Oh, I was going to say about the Speed Force. You did uh, – Help me out. So the Speed Force at the end, Barry's like, oh, we're going to use Nora's journal so you yeah. can build a Speed Force because Thawne taught her. I was like, how does that make any sense? Because didn't Thawne teach her how to make a negative Speed Force? And why should you be listening to Thawne to begin uh, with? Right, right. <laughs> so that made no sense. Yeah. That's, that, that's, yeah, that's what bugs me about it. Because, like, why would you listen to Thawne and how he, Yeah. But it it would it does lead me into a prediction, so I'll leave that for later. But my last point was about the Nash storyline. Um, it really annoyed me that first of all he has this like repressed memory of Maya dying and how she died, and then like his immediate reaction was it was her fault. <laughs> like what? You know he taught her <laughs> that the prize is everything or whatever. And, yeah, like, I guess he didn't realize that he had grown to, like, love her and trust her. But then she dies, and he was like, it wasn't my fault. It's her fault. I'm she like, did what kind that. of bullshit is this? Like, what do you mean it was her fault that she died? That was just, like, a really shitty take. Even for Nash, like, the whole, like, I didn't do it kind of thing just kind of, like. It was very childish yeah. in a way. Yeah. Agreed. That was bullshit. Um, but yeah, we did have feedback from Paulina. So what did she have to say about the Flash 615? She returned from war. She didn't send us any black did. light back. <laughs> well, she said that the um, Henderson's death and black lightning season finale messed me up so bad that I couldn't send feedback, um, which was the real reason I missed out on sending feedback last week is because I just got so tied up with work and life. Oh, I hope everything's yeah. better now. But she's still sad about Henderson. Like a, she sent us like a, a, a non on Tumblr saying that, you know, if I don't send it, it's because Henderson died. But she's like, you know, <laughs> actually, the real reason was. <laughs> yeah. We but, hope yeah. your family's doing well. Um, but, yeah, so she wasn't a fan of this Flash episode. Um, she says it was incredibly disappointing. I didn't have the highest hopes going into the episode, but I did not expect it to devolve into Nash needing to exercise Thawne by dealing with his grief over losing Maya. Um, the whole Nash and Maya slash Allegra plot has been so contrived, and for it to be the driving force in the second half of the episode was just awful. Truly, completely awful. Oh, Paulina. Caitlin really got knocked out half for half this episode. 
which is par for the course. I'm sure there are better ways to lighten Danielle's workload, but Kate annoyed me at the beginning of the episode more so than usual because she should know by now that yelling at Barry not to do something is really a fruitless endeavor. <laughs> Very true, actually. So I guess it's a good thing that we didn't have to deal with her much after the 20-minute marker. You know what? I made a, a, a thing on Twitter. It's like I was kind of chuckling because, you know, the whole supposedly Caitlin Berry Cisco thing turned into like a Cecile Cisco Berry thing. <laughs> like, She's pregnant. I'm like, that doesn't doesn't mean like. Right. Like, she could have been involved in the plot. They went to his brain. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure Danielle could sit in a chair. They just didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, points for Mayor Iris coming through through it's creepy how she managed to channel Iris beautifully in her speech to Barry really drawing upon Iris' belief in Barry's heroism to get through to him and inspire him to stop sunshine without his speed um Joe's on alert after what Wally told him, but he's still not had any sort of revelation. I have no idea why they're dragging the reveal out. It's coming to a point where I'm really irked with the way the narrative is treating the story arc. If Eric thinks I'm happy with 610 and 611 and can call it a day, he's got another thing coming. <laughs> less Mirror Iris doing Ava's bidding. Less plot force nonsense, less Nash. Less Barry being dumbed down to make other characters relevant. More of Iris exploring and investigating the Mirror World, please. There's nothing in the Mirror World, though, Paulina. It's just empty. No, it's one room. <laughs> It's oh my god, room. I totally forgot that that's my dislike, actually. I told that, like, why is the mirror world empty? That's so stupid. The mirror world is, like, supposed to be a copy of Central City or something, and there's no, no I, in it? No, I think it's, I think it's just that one room. People, why do people keep telling me that people kept telling me it was a copy of Central City? I mean, I think that's, like, Either way. too much. Either way. I thought, I thought Ava I was standing wherever, in, like, an empty Iris's office, was she not? Or was it just, like, no, a like reflection the of where they were standing? The, I think she can project the mirror anywhere she wants to, as long as there's, like, a uh, surface. Oh, so it's a reflection of whatever she, room she's in. Yeah, because I feel like she, like, I didn't, like, rewatch it, but I feel like she was still in, like, her office where Iris found her when she was talking to the girls through the mirror in the Central City Citizen, so. Well, whatever it is, it's boring, and it's it should like, be so, like, odd, like, so weird for her to, like... Let me drive over to Mirror yeah. Central City. <laughs> it's true, it's true. But the Mirror World should be literally a Mirror World. It yeah. should be like us. They should be like tethered. They should be living like shadow lives of the real yeah. lives, and that's why they're so bitter. That would be so much more interesting than I'm in this room. The budget. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> there is no Mirror World. No, I agree with that. I think that, like, I guess... <laughs> Part of the description when they first released that I was like, oh, so they're gonna, she's going to be exploring this world? But I guess not. And that's why they've been holding off on, like, giving us too much of Iris and Ava scenes because there's only so much that they're doing with it anyway. So, yeah. Um, let's see. What a waste of Thawne, honestly. The show constantly dangles him in front of the audience like bait, but doesn't actually follow through on any payoff concerning his frequent returns. Hopefully Matt Letcher can come back, and we'll finally get some movement on this final Thawne showdown. I think, honestly, this is the last of him, so them sort of releasing him from Wells is just... That's it. Um, Singh is back. That was a bright spot in in an otherwise lackluster episode. Um, Mirror Iris is... Outfits this episode was were fire. All her outfits are fire. <laughs> Another bright spot, indeed. They are. They actually are. Um, I, like uh, Candace in one of her her infamous Twitter party yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, she wanted Mirror Iris to like look through Iris's closet and be like, yeah, I'd wear that. Like, you yeah. know, like, yes, that's death, Iris. <laughs> 
Yeah, so her outfits are spectacular this season. I'm glad we got that great wardrobe back. Um, I'll wrap this up by saying that episode 16 does look solid, hopefully with Iris growing suspicious of Ava and Ava apparently ordering Mira Iris to deplete Barry's speed. Everything will just go from zero to 100 fast. I want Iris out of that mirror by the end of 17, especially with the filming of the final two episodes of season six up in the air at the moment, because otherwise, hell hath no fury like me watching The Flash go on hiatus with Iris still stuck in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so that's going to be the case, because I feel like, well, I guess we'll get to that in predictions. So, so what it. are they? Oh, yeah, there are still oh. facts. So what are the predictions? Um, I think that, obviously this is like a lame prediction, but obviously we have Barry Speed stuff going on on one side and then Iris' stuff going on on the other side, so they're mirroring each other. So with the pacing going the way that it is, it seems like, because I thought Barry was going to lose his speed completely by the end of this episode, but since it's going to be next episode, I feel like that will have to do with when he realizes that Iris is not his Iris at all. And then Iris becoming suspicious of Ava, something's going to connect there in terms of, like, whether it's the speed, her getting out, some realization will happen, and boom, by episode 17. Because there's a, uh, I think Candace said something about, like, filming a fight scene for episode 18, and I'm still convinced that that fight scene will be with her mirror version. So. Interesting. Well, to kind of piggyback, piggyback off of that and the whole speed force thing, like, I don't like that they're using this, well, let's, let's build off the Thon's playbook on how to build a speed force. But, like, if you take this episode with Thon trying to generate his speed force with, from with inside Nash, he was generating it, feeding off of Nash's feelings of grief loss and, like, negativity. And so, obviously, Barry is not going to delve into negativity. So, like, the opposite of that is love. Um, So the only way that he could create a speed force and not have it blow up in his face is if he, like, ran on love and his biggest connection as a paragon of love is with Iris. Mm -hmm. And them not being able to connect, I think that would trigger something in the next episode, especially if that's what they're going to focus on, um, creating a speed force. He needs Iris to be able to do that, and since they're not connecting, um, and then I think maybe, because I think um, Victoria gave an interview recently, and she was talking about Mira Camilla and um, how Cisco would react to Mira Camilla and all that kind of stuff. Um, In addition to Barry confronting his distance with Iris, um, maybe Cisco will have his first interaction with with Camilla and something that Camilla like maybe there's some kind of like pancake moment for Camilla and Cisco that Cisco be like this is weird and then bring it up to Barry it's like you know what that is weird because Iris also did this weird thing and then maybe somehow like Joe's like you know what and Black Hole mm-hmm. has you know and somehow all of that will be connected yeah that helps that. That there's there's more of them that aren't in the know so yeah. I'm not on the. I'm not on team like. Oh, Cisco will figure it out immediately. It's because no, Cisco will know. have some extra evidence. Yeah, I don't think we jump to that conclusion. You know, no. like I'm pretty That's sure not that Victoria said. Yeah, yeah. I like y'all said. Like y'all said. Um, I think that it's just going to add to the evidence that something is weird. Um, and yeah. I do. I, I, I also just. I'm. I, I assume that we are going to get like actual physical manifestation of Nora again. And that that's why Jessica was in town. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully Iris will be there for that. 
future Iris, maybe. Yeah, maybe future Iris. I do still think that future Iris will play into the way that Barry gets his speed back, mm, um, or yeah. speed force back, because I, I, I just imagine him, like, like I said, being his own thing, yeah. and then he'd have to travel through, like, the whole lifespan when he does that, so. Oh, okay. Future Iris, I'm please. ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, that's, that's it. That's all I got. All right, well, finally, moving into Legends of Tomorrow. The legends continue their hunt for the pieces of Loom of Fate and find themselves face-to-face with William Shakespeare because Charlie was apparently friends with William back in the day and gave him a piece of the loom in the shape of a ring to hold on to. And now they tried to get it back, but William bartered the ring with his producer for some collateral, I think, for his next play. And William is facing a writer's block on how to finish it, so... In order to get the ring back, the legends have to do some shenanigans to help William Shakespeare finish his play, Romeo and Juliet. Ray, Nate, Rory, Constantine, and Charlie, and Behrad stay a little longer on the mission to have Ray's bachelor party, which makes things worse after lying to Sarah, who is also having her own book club bachelorette party for, for Nora on the ship. Meanwhile, Ray and Nora make another big life decision, a.k.a. leaving the ship, that leaves the team surprised and best buds Nate and Ray on the outs because Nate is a child. (laughs) 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 Also, Mona is back this episode, and she helps um, Mick come to terms with the fact that he has a daughter and how how being a, a father... It has affected his life view. So, this episode was directed by Alexander LaRoche and written by Ray Utarnachit and Matthew Mala. So, in the Brandon and Courtney final, final episode, not the fake final that was yet last week, but this one was their last episode. What sparked joy? I'm surprised we don't have Forrest feedback, to be honest. FYI. Yeah. If he was our only Legends person. Squire, what are you doing? Social distancing. Keeping his distance from us. How rude. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) Going back to what sparks joy. Yes. So what sparked joy... This episode was good on a standard Legends episode, I guess, you know, like, there was some shenanigans, Shakespeare was really fun, his mustache was very distracting, because it was all lopsided, (laughs) but I love that it was Charlie who, like, knew him, and they had, like, it was a very basic mission that sort of spun out because of the Legends themselves being the ones, as usual, to sort of mess things up, (laughs) even though it was very, very simple, go get the ring back and they had it and then um they're the ones who are just like no or or nay rather you know doing a bachelor party for ray and then how that sort of screws up shakespeare's whole story um which was really fun because that new version is hilarious like mercutio is fighting romeo and (laughs) he turns to steel so all that was really fun i really like that um mona especially can come back when it's 
for book club because I think that's really sweet that they carry on this tradition of book club and that she's there and they don't just actually talk about books. You know, Zari, we talk about our lives. <laughs> so that was really sweet and how they got like they tried to get Zari to open up um, even though she didn't really do much of that. But if anyone was going to open up to uh, Mick and get him to think about possibly like getting to know his daughter and being in her life, it was going to be Mona. So I thought that relationship is really sweet. And, it, you know, it's funny that they're both so concerned with this, like one troll. It's amazing that there's only one troll with Rebecca Silver's only one Rebecca Silver troll. They both had the same like process on how to deal with it. Maybe I should give her a basket of stuff. No. <laughs> yeah, so it was really nice that she was there for him, and I love the whole like consent to hug, and the, he he allowed it. So I love that relationship. It was one of the actually like sweetest ones that Mick has. Um, shocking. Um, I liked the just like the general theme of the fact that change isn't always a bad thing and it can be like Zari said, it can be really scary, but it can also be very beautiful. And sometimes it just has to happen. And just like them coming onto the ship at first was a big change. They had to uproot their entire lives, but it turned out for the best, you know, this is the mentality going forward with Ray's life. So I like that like piece of advice in general. Um, Putting on the whole play was (laughs) It was probably one of the best parts of the episode because it was just so zany. Like, I like that they used Tala Ash's um, theater experience, and she was a great Juliet. And I really, really was feeling that scene with her and John because I don't know what was going on there, but there was something. Y'all, y'all were both feeling that. <laughs> yes. Mm. <laughs> mm. I mean, she was a very convincing Juliet. He seemed very convinced. He was into it by the end. And when the time came, he was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Like, yes, darling, kiss me. <laughs> um, and just, like, the little things in general, like, uh, my Zarly Crumb, like, Jessica will also agree with that, you know, Charlie co- commenting on the way that Zar- Zari looks, like, oh, cute outfit or whatever. So she was feeling that. She's like, damn, she looks good. That's what she said. That's exactly <laughs> yes. what she said. Oh, yes. <laughs> damn. <laughs> so Zarly Crumb, um, beautiful, wonderful, I want more of it. And... There was another crumb that I needed to mention and I totally forgot. Just like Charlie being like into everyone because she was like, they're like, send the firemen away, you know. And she's like, okay, hey. (laughs) Um, So that was great. And Sarah's terrible British accent and like John's offense to it. He's like, this is really rather offensive. (laughs) Please stop. So all those, those little moments were great. Everybody was just so drunk and partying, and it was that was like the legends that I want to see. So all of that stuff was um, pretty entertaining. I support you in this. Is that all you're like? Indeed. Okay. I don't know why my thing took me back to the beginning. I don't know what my likes are without my notes. Um, I thought the episode was overall it was fun. It was touching. Um, I loved their, like, the whole rendition of Romeo and Juliet. It was great to see them act it out. I would have watched the whole episode that was just them acting out Romeo and Juliet. Um, I, I, as was said, I love the return of Book Club. I love how it's, it is, like, Mona's baby. It comes back with her. And I love how Zari was inducted into it. It was very cute. Um, and how they were all, like, going through and, like, expressing how, how it, you know, is important to them and why it's not really about the book. It's about, like, the experience of sharing together which is very nice. 
Um, I like that Mona was finally here for Mick to bounce off of, like she should have been last week instead of Zari. Um, and also, of course, the dual uh, bachelor, bachelorette parties. Very cute. Um, Ray and Nate's final goodbye was super sweet. I really enjoyed their bromance, especially, you know, as Jessica has said, you know, you can see Brandon and Nick through it. And that's what's the, the cutest part of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, I think it was a fun episode. I'm just sad because obviously I don't want to see Ray and Nora go. Um, but I also liked when they were like, although they kind of made it sound like he was dead. But when they're like sitting around talking like, oh, Ray loved this and like Ray loved that. And now we're drinking Ray's tea and actually it's disgusting. Um, I, was <laughs> <laughs> I like the way that I think that this kind of helped utilize the fact that like the Wave Rider is their home too, you know. Like, they all literally live on this ship together like roommates and then also work together and fight together, et cetera. So it does make, it makes sense that a newlywed couple is going to need, you know, their own space, their own place somewhere else. Um, but at the same time, it's even more of a loss when someone leaves the team. And also I agree with the crumbs. Yay, Charlie liking everyone. Um, yay, John getting to kiss everyone. <laughs> I hope he makes his way through, because he's, he's kissed, like, three people so far this season, right? Gary, um, Zari, Nora. and Nora. Yeah. So, by the end of the season, he should have kissed. Well, he's not going to kiss Ray now, sadly. Uh, that's a dislike. But, and he's kissed Sarah before, so that's another yeah, one. Yeah, he's already before. kissed Sarah. I've been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. But he'll kiss everyone else on the ship by the end of the season. There you go. That's your early prediction. That's my early prediction. <laughs> um... I'm trying not to, I'm trying to judge this episode objectively <laughs> and not subjectively. Um, so just based on objective, what sparked joy to me, the girls' bachelorette party was like a thousand times more fun than the boys for sure. Like they, and it feels like the actresses probably had just like a blast. Um, I feel bad for Maisie that she was stuck with the boys' group <laughs> while the girls got to have like a stripper and, um, the little animal scooter things and scooter races. I feel like that would have been a blast to, to be on set for that. And kind of, it kind of felt like a, you know, like last day of school kind of graduation party almost. If you consider like the, the, the BTS with like the actors leaving and everything like that. Um, so it's just fun. Um, I also liked when uh, the boys and Charlie did finally come back and they had to confess to Sarah that they messed up history and she was trying to be like stern angry captain but then at the last moment she slurred history <laughs> we had a thick history <laughs> i thought that was funny um i enjoyed the temporary return of mona and book club um i thought book club as a way to try to open up zari and try to you know learn more about her was an interesting way to do that um also since it's the last book club that they could do with the original book club members since Nora's leaving um I thought it was nice to bring Mona back for that and then also to have Mona um as an aside and she is Rebecca Silver now which I thought like last week I thought it was weird that Mick cared about the trolls and what they were saying when he hadn't written a book for (laughs) Rebecca Silver as Rebecca Silver in a while um, but I mean, you know, it it was his baby in the sense that he birthed it. So I guess it, it makes sense that he'd be like still 
affected by whether or not people still like Rebecca Silver or not. I don't know what um, else. It was his baby in the sense that he birthed it. <laughs> he did. <laughs> uh, but I, I like that she was able I like the the whole circular full circle thing where in the beginning she's like consent to hug you and he's like mm. she's like okay I'll take that as a no and at the end she's like consent to hug you and he's like, mm. he's like okay I'll take that as a yes <laughs> um, so I, yeah I like that conversation and that relationship between the two of them and it felt like um you know, she was able to get Mick to open up about his fears about being a good dad because he didn't have a good dad. And it was one of, like, the first times maybe even more so, definitely more so than last week, but I feel like the storyline is actually starting to move in, like, a meaningful direction for Mick. Um, so that's actually, like, really, really good. Um, it didn't feel like his storyline was tacked on and kind of felt in the theme of the episode. Um, so that was great. Um, the Nate's, like plan when he was like we're kind of this is what we're going to do to steal the ring and then all of the legends were like acting out his plan um his interpretation of john's accent <laughs> was like hilarious like john was just uh-huh. like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and they cried dancing um that i mean the way that they acted it out was funny and then the legends like production of romeo and juliet was pretty entertaining just like a play within like a play kind of thing. And although Sarah must have still been drunk to assign Nate as Juliet, I don't know if she assigned him Juliet or he's just like, <laughs> naturally I must play Juliet. I don't know whose choice that was, but it was awful. Um, so very glad that Zari was already dressed as an understudy. And partly I, I wonder, like, I can't remember if Nate, if that was the scene that you thought that there was, Either Mayor Tati, like you thought that maybe that was like a moment between them. That was, was that Tati. Tati. It was Tati. Yes. Uh, I don't know if it was so much that she was like. And I agreed. I'm like, I guess. I but then we saw the previews for next week. Yeah. And we're like, oh, it is a moment. <laughs> I didn't know. Like in the moment, is was it like a moment or it was just like she was trying to get him to like leave the stage so she could take on <laughs> Juliet in the role that she was born to play. That's how I'm. Yeah. Like she was trying to be like supportive but she was also like trying to like get Nate to like leave so she could play Juliet (laughs) the way that I'm going to interpret that scene um and I also I also like felt something between John and Zari and I would much rather prefer like it's kind of funny because I would prefer that to Nate and Zari I will shift that before I shift Nate (laughs) um Speaking of Shizuzari, like, I will take my damn, she looks good crumb. And also at the end, when they were, like, mourning Ray, they came in together. Because, um, like, all the legends started, like, coming in one by one. And then, like, Zari and Charlie came in, like, really close together. So I can just, like, imagine <laughs> what they were doing before that they came in together at the same time. So I'm going to take it. Um, not much to say about the the Nate side of the Ray Nate bromance storyline, but I did find it an interesting choice that the writers explicitly parallel Romeo and Juliet's eternal love to Nate and Ray's eternal love for each other. Um, Their goodbye hug, uh, the goodbye scene I thought was really, really emotional and it was just as much Brandon and Nick as it was Ray and Nate, um, which made it sad. Um, So yeah. 
Okay, so enough of being objective. <laughs> what did not spark joy? <laughs> oh boy! Well, <laughs> um, many things did not spark joy because I thought I still think that Brandon's um, exit is complete bullshit that made no sense to the story or his journey. Um, because you had him like what really bugs me because I, and I mentioned this last podcast about how it wasn't even really his idea like he was threatened into doing it and then he just wakes up and he's like you know what Norm I think that now as a married couple we should leave the ship and that's it she's like okay I guess you know and then they just move on I'm like okay so we're not you guys are not gonna have a conversation about it it's just gonna be so abrupt and the fact that they told the team that they were leaving while they were in line at the bathroom yeah. is weird you know like you should, and then the way that they took it to, like, the reception of their leaving, it's like, it was an afterthought to them. They didn't really, they were so busy with the mission throughout the entire episode that we barely got, like, it wasn't a Ray nor a tribute episode, you know what I mean? It was just, like, we're doing a Legends mission, and then his departure is going to be tacked on, as it, you know, has been, really, ever since it was announced. And then Ray got... The focus of Ray's goodbye was like Nate, but Nate was acting like a child as soon as he found out about Ray leaving the ship. And so, like, all of that was clouded by the fact, or Nate's attitude clouded the fact that he was leaving to begin with. So it just made me salty watching, seeing as how everyone's finishing up the Legends mission that Ray didn't even get to finish up because Nate told him to go. And the, like, the final scene... Was a yeah, I wanted him to be too late. I wanted him to be gone when Ray be gone, and Nate just <laughs> have to like deal with it and suffer. <laughs> <laughs> alone, suffer alone. Um, so like the, the final scene, you had them toasting to, to Ray, but like Tati said, this is not a funeral, so I don't understand why Ray wasn't there. I'm oh, sure he would have loved to have heard the words that you were so kindly speaking about him to his face. <laughs> Or the like fact that like it. he got like so mad that he was like like you can't you have a fucking time ship you could hop by and stop right. by Ray, like Ray and Nora's house for dinner anytime you wanted to. Exactly. So that made no sense. And then I feel like it, there wasn't enough Nora saying goodbye to anybody. I know that she's not as she hasn't been as a big a part of the ship as Ray has in the past, but she still managed to make like her girlfriends. They have book club. She didn't get to say goodbye to any of those women. They didn't really make book club about her leaving. Even like where are they even gonna live? Nate Ray had abandoned his life for so long. I don't know. He I don't even think he knows how to live in the real world to be honest. And then it just. The goodbye scene with him and Sarah was nice, but I felt underwhelmed because it wasn't the goodbye scene that I would have preferred for him and her because they've been on this ship since the beginning together. And even though, you know, Mick isn't my favorite character, Ray has also, he's also been there since the beginning. So they didn't really get to chat. Um, so it just felt like it was just, just like the writers probably pulled this whole storyline out of their asses to get rid of them. When it's clear that, A, they both didn't want to go, and it wasn't about money, apparently. And it wasn't, like, any ill will towards any of the writers or cast members or whatever reason that people have to leave the show sometimes. Or that they'd gotten tired and they wanted to move on with their careers. So, like, I don't understand why this was happening seven episodes into, like, a 15-episode season instead of, like, truly 
giving them at least a whole season to build up to the storyline so that they can be like at the end, you know what? We've outgrown the ship. We we should go, you know? Um, and then the whole thing that upset me was like, they made it the whole him departing, like, Oh, they made it seem like it was Ray's idea. It wasn't Ray's idea, <laughs> but they made it seem like it was. And they had that whole conversation with Shakespeare, and, and he's like, oh, well, if you love the characters, like, you should give them that, a happy end. But Shakespeare also killed his characters. So I don't know how that would have made anybody feel better about ending someone's story because you felt like you had to. Because in that instance, Ray's story wasn't over and you, no one can argue that it was, especially with all these characters who, you, like, Mick could have had his story ended, you know? Like, so why is it necessarily Ray? So I didn't like all of that. And then Nate was being a petulant child and wasting his time. And it was just, like, it could have at least used maybe two more episodes if they had wanted to give them more, more proper goodbye so they could sit with this decision, figure themselves out, and then get something more worthy of a character who's been on the show since the very beginning. It's like, just like we got pissed off with, like, Wally's exit is just so abrupt, but at least, like, he wanted to leave the show, you know? In this instance, that wasn't even the case, so. I think I was, like, on a scale of, like, Jax to maybe Stein, like, where did this break? I would probably put it in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, it was better than Jax, but it wasn't as good as Stein's. Because they had that whole, like, build-up for eight episodes for him in particular. And then they even had, like, a morning episode afterwards, so. They'll probably ignore Ray's disappearance or his exit next episode. Yeah. Okay. I know he didn't die. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's like, the way that they were treating it, it was like he oh, died. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm done ranting. <laughs> Well, I mean, I agree with, like, pretty much everything you said, like, especially that it's, like, totally unsettling and displeasing and, you know, just, like, there's, like, a disconnect in my brain when it's Ray giving us the speech that's supposed to explain Brandon's exit when we know that Brandon does not want to exit. Right. So we're like, mm, this is fake. Fake news. We hate it. Um, so, anyway. Um, and, and, and even though this is, like, petty, I'm, like, being petty. But when Ray, when Nate first showed up, I was like, I feel like Nate is just here to replace Ray. Like, Nate is, like, the new male lead instead of Ray. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that way since his appearance. And now he's, like, the main one sending Ray off. And I was like, I hate it. I hate it here. So I was right, and I don't like it. <laughs> but anyway, um, I also, like, okay, so <laughs> I'll just put that, you know, it's also Nora's exit, as was said, and there was not very much Nora. And there hasn't been very much Nora at all, like, all season long. And there is no reason not to develop the Ray and Nora relationship more on screen to get us to an earned wedding that we can all be super excited about and then send them off together. They're like, yeah, they're like, oh, no, we wanted to give him a happy ending and all his story's over. And I was like, yeah, but we could have seen some of that happiness on screen. We saw, like, one scene every three episodes for them. And then they're engaged and married on the same night. And then they're gone. Like, that's just, like doesn't sound to me like you really care about that dynamic or about Ray as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, now, these are just nitpicks about Ray, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, so, <laughs> first, I, this will be said and has been said many times, but Charlie could just have shifted into the person that Shakespeare knew 
and then mm-hmm. be like, hey, can I have it? Yes, you can have it. Okay, moving on. Done. Or, hey, this is what happened to it. Okay, I'll find it. Thanks. Bye. So that was just like, it's like usually I'm like, I love how they're having Charlie shape shift for no reason because they don't have Maisie right now. But now it's like, why isn't Charlie shape shifting? So for that. <laughs> Just so we can have the whole little Romeo and Juliet thing. And also, this whole plot revolving around the fact that, like, Shakespeare's like, oh, I just don't want to end my, you know, awesome work that I'm just doing by myself in this notebook here right now. Um, and that's why I'm going to rewrite it. It's, like, not even how plays were written in that time. <laughs> definitely and a collaborative what process. Even doing writing in a bar? In a yeah. bar. Of course. Like, none of this is, this is not fake. And I know <laughs> that, like, obviously Legends is not doing history. <laughs> but this is, like, the, like, the least historical thing they've done since the Mexican uh, wrestling one. <laughs> um, speaking of which, um, yes, Zari did a very good job with Romeo and Juliet for today. Yes. But actually, the way, like, Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet to be a body comedy in the first half. It is meant to be, like, the way that Nate was acting Juliet is yeah. actually closer to how <laughs> Juliet would be acted. Um, so, no, I just thought that was funny. It's not really a dislike. I'm like, God, sorry, get off the stage. But I did think it was funny that I don't know that they really acknowledged that that was actually correct. And then Zari came on and people were like so moved. And I was like, I thought like they'd be a little bit confused. Like, A, it's a woman. And B, they're like, is that a dude? Like, they did mention that. But then, like, to be like, why is she acting that way? I don't understand this newfangled acting. This is like a whole new kind of acting that we're doing here. Many, many centuries away from where we are now. This is called naturalism. We're not here yet. I don't know what's happening. But anyway, <laughs> that is all. Yeah, like the, I felt I was very conflicted trying to watch this episode. I don't think it was the strongest. It was a solid, it was like a decent Legends episode overall, but it wasn't the strongest and then I add to that the facts the whole drama behind the Legends writers writing out Ray and Nora and it's just kind of things like the the writers giving Ray the if you love it let it go speech um if you are completely removed from all of the backstory surrounding the exit then you would say, oh my gosh, that's really, really emotional. It really ties into what Ray's doing right now. And da, 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 da. <laughs> and you would probably feel like, oh my gosh, that was really great. But like knowing how <laughs> I am not of the ignorant masses, and I do know how shitty they did Brandon and letting him go. And so to have him, have them justify their actions through Brandon and as Ray, it was just kind of like not the business. Like it, it was kind of, it made me feel uncomfortable for, to watch Brandon have to explain to Shakespeare and the audience why what was being done to him was okay. Um, So that did not spark joy. Nate did not spark joy. Like I said last week, like he is the worst TM in a breakup. He, I don't know why he can't, like he can't, it's a character flaw of his that he just does not know how to let people go because he didn't know how to let Amaya go and he was an asshole after they broke up. Um, and then so the fact that they made Ray's leaving about Nate and 
how Nate wouldn't be able to handle it. Um, like he's 12 or something and it wouldn't, it didn't occur to him that a married couple might not want to live with eight other people on a ship with only one bathroom, which like, by the way, how does the wave rider only have one bathroom? <laughs> like Gideon can make clothes, but she cannot make a second bathroom <laughs> for <laughs> 12 people living on one ship. Um, I don't know. Like it, it made Nate seem just like unreasonable. And the fact that when Ray actually did come and kind of come clean to him finally, um, and Nate was just like, well, like now we just had this stupid mission. I could have done like a final mission playlist or da 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 da. Like he goes through, you know, okay, if you didn't know that it was going to be someone's last day, then you might feel a little bit bitter about like I could have planned, I could have done all this stuff. But then they found out the mission is not over. They do get a second chance at doing this with Nate, knowing that it's Ray's last mission. And Nate is just like, you know what? Fuck you. We don't need you. Um, and so I just thought, like, that was just, like, a, a really weird way to extend the drama of Nate being a child rather than them actually having a fun last mission and kind of, like, drag out the, the tension between Ray and Nate and have, like, Ray, like, legit almost leave out the door thinking that Nate would, like, never forgive him. There's another kind of, like, shitty way to write their ending. The goodbye hug was great. But, again, the goodbye hug was great because it was Brandon and Nick, not really because it was, like, Ray and Nate. Um, Yeah. I also had that random question of why why couldn't Charlie just shapeshift back into the form that she was in when she gave Shakespeare the ring? Um, Because I, I don't think that they explained why she couldn't. And I feel like that could have solved the whole problem and that we wouldn't have this whole Romeo and Juliet plot because Charlie could have easily just, like, gotten it back if they had let her shapeshift. And so I don't really understand why they're not doing that anymore, especially in situations where it would have made sense for Charlie to shapeshift. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess I guess at the end, like, the whole let's pour one green juice out for Ray <laughs> I, I still can't. I guess I still can't get over the fact that it is like everyone's like treating him like he he died or that he's gonna. You leave the ship and you're lost in the timeline forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We didn't have any feedback because Suarez doesn't love us this week. <laughs> oh, it hurts. So we're gonna move into um, predictions and what do we predict? Zari will merge somehow. But I think we've had that prediction for a while, so it's yeah. nothing, not anything new. new. Same old shit. <laughs> Same old fucking shit. <laughs> well, I, we did have an Anon, um, and I, we didn't mention Astra at all, even though she had like a, a small minor plot with. Uh, oh, hell. oh! I do have a theory. Then my prediction is that the Hell Lady is one of uh, Charlie's sisters because I don't know who she well, is. I don't know her name. Because that was not an Anon's theory. Interested in the loom? Yeah, <laughs> too much. I was going to mention that because that was one of um, our non sent in that theory like weeks ago. <gasps> I think. Um. <laughs> I mean, that's where we got it. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh, they said in the um cuz they said that the hell lady is probably um I forget which which fate they said and then who was the other one cuz they had all three oh, they of, had both of them yeah mm. so the hell lady and then maybe the the person that was cast 
um, in connection to Charlie's story, the, the actress would mm-hmm. be introduced as the third person, and the three of them were going to be, like, the fates. So it does look like that Anon is definitely headed in the right direction, especially with Hell Lady, whose name that I have no idea what it is. We're just going to call her. I think Hell Lady. Yeah, Hell Lady. Hell Lady is the correct name. What she needs to be called. Yeah. So that I we're going to rock with that prediction, basically. Mm-hmm. So, so now that we have finished side B, we can move on to side B, Lady with Gumption nominees for the Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. Do we have any? I guess we could, you know, give it to Maya for having the gumption to die for the <laughs> thing she was trying to grab. <laughs> I, yeah, um, I mean, there's there's Mira Iris and Camilla, I guess. Yes, for, I mean, for yeah. having the gumption to swipe the prism blah well, yeah, blah while we weren't looking. <laughs> while we weren't looking, like, off screen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyone want to give it? Anyone want to give it to Caitlin for having the gumption to yell at me? No, I think it's just kind of weak overall. The Flash yeah. and I mean Legends. Who sorry for you? having the gumption to introduce a new acting style centuries in advance. <laughs> She's such a trendsetter. <laughs> I don't because it wasn't really heavy a woman-heavy episode for either right. The Flash or Legends. So I feel like we can just kind of, like, stop trying to force a nominee and True. just focus on side A. We already know the winner is Mia. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. It's like Mia or, or Alice, right? So yeah, I guess yeah. Mia or Alice. Yeah. Mia or Alice. Yeah. So Mia, we're yeah. saying is the winner for this week. Um, tune in next week. We do not have The Flash, but I think we have all the other shows. Is that right, May? Yes, we should have all the other. I'm positive we have Supergirl and Batwoman. Legends is on the schedule. Okay. That'd so, be weird to have, like, Flash rerun, rerun and then Legends still Legends. be on schedule. Yeah, that's yeah. Be worse for Legends than normal. Yeah, but I guess they figure because Legends has already filmed all their episodes anyway, so they don't need to mess sure, with them nice out. Oh. That's true. Um... So that is our episode for this week. You can tune in next week where we will have three shows to discuss. Um, if you would like to subscribe to our Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash gumption where you can find um, all of our previous exclusive episodes. The most recent one up is The Witcher Season 1. Very good discussion. Um, <laughs> and then uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks, if we do not get any new shows or everyone starts to go on a hiatus, then we'll have time to do some more exclusive content. Um, Elite Season 3 is out, so we could finally get to do that one um, or a couple other different shows. If you have a show that you would like us to discuss and we have before, let us know. Um, or if you want to just talk about more DTTV stuff, you can send us emails at ladiesofbegumption.tumblr. Sorry, ladiesofbegumption at gmail.com. Or you can send us an ask on Tumption. <laughs> <laughs> Ask on Tumblr, ladieswgumption.tumblr.com. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.